Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It's a Heshi Appreciation Monday right here on Morning Combat. It's the 14th of December, 2020. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas, and uh, the show is already off the rails, and it's five seconds in. How are you doing? We are coming off of a week of UFC 256, Joshua versus Pulev, and a bunch of other stuff. I'm from CBS Sports, and I'm joined by my co-host, who is also from CBS Sports, it is the inimitable Brian Campbell. What up, BC? Yo, Luke. Uh, I'd like to say uh, what's up to our audience of, of diehard MK subscribers and watchers. And also, what's up to the large uh, population that won't be watching today, Luke, because they got their fill from the show on your personal channel yesterday. So shout out you're to them so, as well. You're right? so wrong. about. If anything, right. it promotes it. It is absolutely <laughs> absurd. All the topics to we're about to otherwise. talk about. You've already heard them. Let's do it. It's morning combat. Okay. If that were the case, if that were the case, then it wouldn't work for me on Mondays when I used to do it off my post fight show. It actually, is not true. It's a totally uh, 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 incorrect way to think about it. But you know what? Doesn't really matter because we still have to get your opinion, BC, and maybe that's the most important opinion there is. But first things first, we have to thank the folks at Showtime that make this show possible. If you want to try Showtime, you certainly can. Showtime.com. You can get it for thirty days for free. If you want such a thing, uh, if not, you can go F yourself. Uh, if you want some merch, by the way, we will have some codes for cheaper merch, I think, soon, if not already, for uh, store.show.com for MK merch. I will share those codes with you when we officially have them ready to go, but expect that if you've been looking for that kind of a thing, unless you live uh, outside of Los Angeles, in which case you'll get nothing. But there is that. And then uh, what else, BC? Like the video, hit subscribe. We did some good progress with the instant reaction vids over the weekend. Fake thanks for everyone who checked those out. Yeah, yeah a lot of different uh, stuff. What am I forgetting? Um, You know, maybe uh, you already do the 30-day Showtime thing because there's a lot of good shit to watch, Luke. All right? There is. Really? I'm going to watch. I missed it yesterday, but I'm going to uh, start watching that Brian Cranston show, Your Honor. Yeah. I'm looking no, forward to that. No, that looks good. The com uh, Dude, everyone's telling me now about this Comedy Store docuseries. Uh, yeah. We're in between back-to-back weeks of Showtime Boxing. I mean, come on. There's a lot to check out on there. Uh, uh, you know, thank you for all our folks, okay? Also, you love us on MK. Be sure to check out Luke and I on CBS Sports HQ, your 24-7 streaming all-sports network, uh, where we are regulars on there interviewing people, giving our analysis and our takes post-fight Saturday night. So a lot of good stuff in the larger Viacom CBS family, Luke, okay? We're moving product. Those are the labels that pay us. Let's keep going after it. All right, well, with that in mind, we got to get this process started because we had two big events over the weekend, as I mentioned, UFC 256 and Joshua versus Pulev. Let's put boxing on the back burner for just a moment, and let's start with the last pay-per-view of 2020, UFC 256. So, BC, in the main event, Devison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno fought to a draw. Is that the right conclusion for this, what can only be described as, epic flyweight main event? Yeah, uh, I think it is in the end, depending, Luke, upon where you stood specifically on round two. I went back and rewatched this absolute instant classic this morning. Uh, you know, didn't have Twitter, didn't have other things, you know, looking for my attention here. I've, I've watched it in black and white. I've smeared peanut butter on the screen. I've watched it without the announcers. I've seen it every way you can, Luke. 48 times, at least. And I'll tell you this, that I thought it was guaranteed that Figueredo won round one. Guaranteed that he won round five. Guaranteed that Moreno won rounds four 
and most likely three with the point deduction. I think the real swing round, and this is round two, a completely even round. Both had equal amounts of moments. Moreno probably got it on many people's scorecards because of those two takedowns. Maybe not. It seemed back and forth. If you had Figueredo winning round two, you probably had this fight a draw, Luke, with the point deduction. And if you had Moreno, he certainly had a strong argument to be made. Uh, it's one of those, Luke, where... Everyone wins on a draw, and that is so rare in sports because it's normally it's in, in the fight game, the whole, you know, kissing your sister type of feeling. Uh, not Hopefully none of us have, have had that feeling, Luke, outside of West Virginia. But uh, this fight was great. Uh, I thought that they were both properly elevated. And, Luke, can I give three or four real quick shout-outs to, to really what made this fight just, just freaking ridiculous, okay? Please. All right? Moreno's chin and balls, of course, but even deeper, Moreno's poison presence, Luke, there was a great tweet. You know, they run those Twitters on the air, and most of the time it sucks on the UFC broadcast, except for the time they ran mine at the start of round five, but they ran one from Anthony Pettis, who was just like, you know, the the glare of the lights on the title level, it's just different. Not everybody shows up, and that is so true. We've seen so many guys look great on the rise, and they get there, Luke. And they either can't produce the best of themselves or the best of themselves isn't good enough. Let's let's focus on one of the pure things that we love about this game. When we watch somebody say they're going to do something, and in this case, Brandon Moreno, step up and do it. At worst, I thought he deserved a draw that he got. His performance not only showed you that he's super elite, but he was in there with an absolute killer who was loading up on every single strike. And Moreno, good Lord, took that well. And let's flip it to uh, Figueredo real quick, Luke, before I throw it back to you. Here's a guy who should be absolutely exhausted. He cuts weight from such a high starting point. He goes hard for five rounds throwing knockout punches basically every single strike. And yet he was the fresher guy in round five that seemed to solidify not losing his title with his performance in that round. There is so much man in that cage on Saturday night. Uh, I cannot believe the gas tanks of both, the heart of both, the chins, but specifically Moreno's presence, Luke. Uh, you know, we don't know. This Is this him moving forward? We don't know. But on the night that he needed to be, he was worthy of the moment. And considering how great Figueredo's been this year, we can't overlook that. This wasn't a great fight because Figueredo, you know, had any sort of negatives. They both brought their A game, and it was on par with each other. I think it's worth focusing on Brandon Moreno for just a second. Folks, man, I realize this. This is his second draw in five fights. He had a draw against Askarov in 2019, and now he's got a draw again against uh, Figueredo. And what's kind of interesting, BC, is you know, if you're the promoter, probably what's best for you is for Figueredo to be this towering figure, this towering inferno, like what's his name? The 6'6 donk. From the Spence Garcia card. Fun, fun I forget his name. Uh, anyway. Fundora. Fundora. Fundora, yeah. You want a towering inferno, right? You want someone in that division who just stands apart because it's easier to market that way. And I understand that it would be great to see that. But it also is kind of cool that like there's actually a little bit more depth in this division maybe than we realized. It had a lot of figures that got cut, and that's unfortunate. It'd be nice if Cejudo was still there. It'd be nice if Demetrius Johnson was still there, but that's not the world we live in, and even Juicier Formiga if he was still there. But what we, you have is still pretty good, if not better than that, and everyone is sort of leveling up kind of at the same time. Not the same pace, per se, but everyone is taking those leaps and bounds of growth by virtue of their youth and uh, the game itself having best practices being shared more readily. I'm just sort of pointing out, Brandon Moreno won, as I mentioned, second draw in five fights. Two, he had a three-fight losing streak, then went on a three-fight winning streak. Sort of shows that you know the maturation process is uneven, but how can you watch this fight and say, 
is he the best flyweight on earth? I, I didn't come away with that impression. But in your interview, BC, he said, what's going to carry me forward are my huevos, my eggs. But he doesn't mean eggs. He means testicles, baby, please. And buddy, <laughs> they were not necessarily on display in a literal way, but in a figurative way. Did you not feel, BC, at any point in that fight that there was no way you could look at it and say, oh, well, Moreno, you know, he might last, but he's out of it. I never thought he was out of it. He always fought and matched Figueredo's intensity for 25 minutes. So if you had him win, if you had him not winning, fine. There's a debate to be had there. But you could never look at that fight and say, you know what? One guy's kind of pacing the other one here. He was there, ready to fight, ready to win, believing he could win for 25 minutes. I kind of feel like this was the moment that the flyweight division needed. Not so much just getting a champion, because remember, even that was an uneven process where Figueroa had to beat Benavidez twice for that to happen. This was the first really happy moment for this division since all the chaos, all the confusion, all of the, the disorder, and it comes from only a great fight, but a maturation process and a standout performance, even from the guy who was on the sort of losing end of things in the sense that he wasn't able to get the title. Obviously, Figueredo keeps it in a draw. Really a nice moment for that whole yeah, weight that, class. I mean, it validates every, every idea we had about the debate of keeping it. And believe me, because Dana sat on the throne without taking a piss for so long, kind of dangling it out there. There were many times where I was publicly saying, just get rid of the division already. Just make a decision, right? I'm so glad that they kept it because there are so many savages here competing at, at such a high level. By the way, I did want to throw a tiny bit of shade to that third judge who had the fight even but gave the fifth round to Moreno. I thought Moreno matched or exceeded what Figgy was doing for basically the solid four rounds in such really stunning ways. I mean, look, there were moments where Figueredo was like, F it. This guy wants to mess with me. I'm going to bite down and give it to him. And I thought he gave every possible thing he had, every strong and creative strike to be like, all right, you hung around this long, eat this. And Moreno kept eating it. The only thing he sort of did wrong, Luke, was carry a stupid high pace for four rounds and then have a moderate one in round five in which Figueredo was able to outwork him. The third judge did give that round to Moreno, though, but if he didn't, it still would have been a draw. It would have been a split draw as opposed to a majority draw. So no harm, no foul in the end. But you nailed it. This, this Look, this fight, but really this year as a whole, Luke, was validating to the flyweights. It wasn't without like you know controversy or, or second-guessing, especially when Figueredo missed weight, as you mentioned, with Benavidez. But now we have a potential breakout star, certainly in Figueredo. We have a supporting cast of guys who... At any time, they can win the fight. You know I mean? I want to see Askar Askarov at this freaking level very soon. Cody Garbrandt wants to parachute in. Who knows what's going to happen next, Luke? I did want to ask you super fast, and we're going to get to our year-end awards in a couple weeks, but there was a lot riding on this fight for Figueroa. Figueredo. Figure, figure, figure me out. Uh, sorry about that. I just had a... Uh, uh, I think I just had a seizure. Uh, Luke, what I was saying is, Figueredo, if this fight didn't happen, he would have been my fight of the year. If he lost, eh, he probably would have lost the award. What does a draw do to that? I was wondering the same thing myself. I still think it's enough to get it because of the level of activity and all of the previous wins, and then this one was, at a bare minimum, exciting, and he didn't lose. And again, I feel like the two acceptable outcomes here would have been a draw or a Figueredo win. I, I, I'm a little bit less inclined to agree that an outright Moreno win is the way to go. I did feel like the commentators got a little bit lost in how well he was doing. And I understand that to a degree, right? I mean, he was, you know, it depends on one's expectations, but it was it was somewhat surprising. He was able to get the takedowns Moreno was. He was able to, out, you know, 
totally do well in the scramble. You thought, okay, maybe Moreno will hold his own on the feet. Maybe he won't. But on the ground, that'll be a, a bit of a rough area for him. And it was actually kind of the opposite in many ways. So so I think that there was an understandable case to be uh, forgiving of the commentators for getting a little too far into it. But I didn't agree that that was a, a win. That, I didn't agree that he won that fight or that was a plausible case you could make in the end. So, But getting back to Figueredo, yeah, I still think so. Now, if Kevin Holland comes back and next week beats Hamzat Shemaev, which seems unlikely that they're even going to make that thing. But if that was somehow able to get done, then it'd be interesting because you would have a guy winning more fights in much quicker succession, albeit not at the championship level. So then who would get it? But without that really happening, and even if that happened, it's just hard to overlook somebody fighting at a championship level basically every time. And the worst you can say about it is he had a draw in right. maybe that division's most exciting fight ever, you know, it's still kind of <laughs> well, Figueredo. It's just not me, in a landslide. Let me steal the mic from you and just say, yeah, right. There are different levels. If it was a flat draw where you said, wow, maybe you shouldn't have come back after three weeks. He was flat. No, this was a performance where both guys completely elevated to, to the point where we're going to have this debate right now. What do we do with this fight, Luke? Where does it fit into the potential fight of the year rankings? Is it the greatest 125 fight of all time? I said on CBS Sports HQ because it was 1.30 a.m. and I was delusional that this felt like the fight of my lifetime in the moment. There was just something so special about it from the point deductions to the uncertainty of the scorecards to the savagery. Uh, I don't think it's better than Joanna and Whaley, who gave us their lives. I was sitting there front row. I was nervous as heck. There was an alien coming out of Joanna's skull, and I, I, I still would have IG'd her. But, uh, Luke, uh, what are we doing with it? I would say I went back and I rewatched the women's fight. I, I even forgot that that was this year. That seems like such a life. Anything pre-pandemic just feels like it took place in 2019. But I went back and I rewatched it, and I agree with you. I think that the fight of the year is, is Yan Jacek and Wiley Zhang. And the reason why is, one, they had overall much higher output. If you look at the amount of significant strikes landed in Figueredo and Moreno, it was uh, a bit mid-130s, which is extremely high. But in the case of Zhang and Joanna, it was 160s and higher. So they had much higher output. Plus, in the fifth round, this fight from Saturday, it kind of, you know, it died down in the fifth a little bit as both guys got somewhat conservative. It was the opposite in uh, Yuani and Jacek and Zhang Wiley. They, I mean, they stepped on the gas pedal in the fifth and went after each other. So, it, BC, it's hard for me to believe that the best women's fight is not better than maybe the first or even second best men's flyweight fight. I mean, that's a little bit imprecise way of saying it. Um, but this is going the back, the proof is in the pudding. That no fifth qualifier. round differentiator for me is what sells it for the women. Yeah, but don't qualify. This is the best flyweight fight in UFC history. I mean, come on, men's. This is. I mean, really, straight. It's a. T it was for the title. Five freaking rounds of savagery and drama. I mean, it was okay. Yeah, it's fine. Right. It's fine. I mean, you, you know, you could put Johnson and uh, Dodson too up there. I think had a fair bit of drama as well. Um, I mean, yes. Cejudo Benavidez was pretty good, not for a title, but that was pretty damn good. That was a contender that year that it happened. Um, yeah. Also, uh, let's not forget this year uh, that the Hooker-Poirier five-round war was also in this conversation, all right? Yeah, I mean, this was the best fight uh, at the Apex since Poirier versus Hooker, right? Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, definitely. 
definitely would agree with that. Fan, fan. I mean, look, like that's the one thing I texted you rewatching. Like this isn't this is a modern classic, straight up. It's not right. a you know. I said I love you on the first night because I was caught up in the moment. No, this is this is this is the goods right here. Okay, we're gonna be rewatching this, Luke, for years. All right, you and now, me together. Da- Same. Dana time. White said BC that they want to run this one back immediately. Is that the right call? See, you know, I hadn't. That's, that's a good question because I hadn't even thought about that. Uh, yeah. It is, because what are you going to... You can't penalize Moreno. Now, there are times... I mean, like, Luke, it's very rare that you get a draw in a championship fight, right? They, the, the stat was that the last time was the uh, Wonder Boy, uh, Tyron Woodley one from UFC 205, and that did get an immediate rematch, but it's it's very rare. And there are times where you get a draw, but you still feel like you knew who won. Again, this one, it, it's pretty much a draw. I mean, pretty much a draw. That, that I, I'd love to give 10-10 for round two, Luke. I really would, because it was that even. So it's pretty much a damn draw. I, I think you got to do it. I, I think you got to find out. Um, this would not be the time to substitute Cody Garbrandt in for star power because the winner of this rematch is going to ha- have a chance to be their own star. So let's let's run it back. Yeah, it, it all depends on the calendar and what's available and when they want to put it. Because you're right, the Cody Garbrandt thing just kind of looms large. To me, yes, you need to do a, a rematch. When I say immediate, I don't mean next month. It could be first quarter or something. In 2021, remember, these guys only had three weeks to prepare for this. Now they fought each other for 25 minutes. How would it look a second time? There's a reason to think that one direction or the other, it could look pretty different. They could adopt a pretty different strategy to see where they get. Moreno could build off of those takedowns. You never know. Figueredo could build off of something else that he was doing really well. It's just with Cody Garbrandt, it's hard to say, right? We, we know that he's still dealing with some of these COVID symptoms like brain fog and blood clots. Is he going to be ready? If he is, I got to say, BC, you know, you just know this game as well as I do. They're probably going to sub him in. So it really is, where are they putting in the calendar? And then to what extent is Cody Garbrandt going to be ready? The winner of that fight will probably get Brandon Moreno if they end up going that direction. It just sucks because we we still don't have an answer of who's the best flyweight in the world right now. Like, we think it's Figueredo, but good God, we just saw Moreno empty his life into that cage. So I want to I wanna get that answer, Luke, okay? I need the sequel, all right? Let's do it. Yeah, the, that's the last thing. I said this on the, on the uh, instant reaction. BC, so don't get too bitter about it. It was on it was on MK. Oh, okay. It, it was on MK. But it's true. It's like I think Figueredo was beginning not to believe his own hype in some kind of way where he wasn't, you know, crossing his T's and dotting his I's. The good news about Figueredo's size is that he has to do the work to get his weight down. Otherwise he just won't even make weight for this. So he almost has this like ball and chain that is requiring him to put in the amount of re- uh, effort in camp through diet, through training. So in that sense, um, you know, I'm not too worried about things. Well, here's what I mean, BC. He was walking into this fight, you know, really believing, again, not his own hype, but you could just sense his, his confidence was at an all-time high. And why shouldn't it be? You demolished Benavidez twice. You beat Perez. Blah, blah, blah. The list goes on. And I'm glad to see that he has matured into the talent that he has. But at the same time, I feel like this fight was one of those things where it's like, dude, if you slip at all in this game, whether through fouls, because by yes. the way, dude, he had a ton of fouls in this fight. Yes, he did. <laughs> uh, or, you know, you're just not on your game that day. One of these young, hungry flyweights is going to take it from you. And Brandon Moreno got this close to doing it. Well, here's what's crazy is, it's just to close on that point, to be able to keep that up, which is walking around with 0% body fat and, and you know, and inflating 20 pounds after the weigh-in, um, it almost explains and fuels his style as a finisher because 
it's not natural to, to go five rounds with after that kind of cut with that situation. That's why I cannot say enough about the pace Figueredo kept up for 25 minutes and that he was the fresher fighter in the final round of this fight. But Luke, while you can argue, and Sugar Rashad did on this show, that the short turnaround was better for him to keep the weight off and make it, you do wonder being too active, is that going to be a problem? Because physically he's taxing himself so much to make these weight cuts and now having to go five hellacious rounds is it better to take more time off to rest and heal, or does that always restart the process of this very difficult cut? I'm not sure what the right you know, balance of that is moving forward. I still have fears that he consistently can make this, but, God, if you can go five rounds at that pace against a killer like Moreno, maybe maybe BC should shut up in his basement, right? I mean, maybe we should stop having this conversation. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. If he, if he, if he just keeps making weight, like Habib eventually just figured out how to make weight, it's over for a lot of you folks out there. Uh, okay. Let's go to point number two, BC. So Tony Ferguson not only loses in the co-main event at UFC 256, excuse me, he got dominated. I want to start on the positive end of things, BC, and that means acknowledging the victor here. That means acknowledging Charles Oliveira. BC, he wins 30-26 on all three judges' scorecards. He turned Ferguson's arm into almost broken spaghetti in the first round. What is your biggest takeaway about the Brazilian's performance? Yeah, good question because the, it feels like Tony Ferguson owned the lead-up to this fight and he's owning the post-fight narrative too in opposite ways. But look, the biggest takeaway is that Charles Oliveira continues to show me in the past couple of years that he's better than I thought he was and maybe even way better. I mean, this is an insane eight-fight win streak. Not insane in the quality per se because we did talk about that coming in. Had he had enough legitimate elite level threats to to feel comfortable picking him against Tony Ferguson on paper I said no because I was living under the rule that no matter what you just can't bet against Tony he's that surreal different weird special all that but what Charles Oliveira did just nobody does that to Tony and nobody except Tony Luke really does what he's doing right now, which is in the sport's most dangerous division, the deepest division where maybe I didn't love all the names he's beating because they weren't top 10 guys. They're still tough as nails because this division, 155, just produces nothing but killers. I mean, he's rolling through these guys. He's got the UFC submission record by like three over Damian Maya, who's been around a lot longer. He is absolute world-class, and it's not just the well-rounding of his game. It's just, I mean, look at him with the damn silver hair. It's just, he's walking around with so much confidence that he's an elite stud that I'm at the point where let's find out. I mean, like, give this guy a title shot. I don't believe Habib is ever fighting again. Give this guy the winner of Dustin and in, 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 uh, Connor. Like, what else do we have to say about him, Luke? He is everything right now. That, and I want to find out if that means he beat an older Ferguson or he really is everything and he could legitimately be holding this title six, nine months from now. Yeah, he'd be a hell of a fight for Habib as well. You know, on the feet, could hold his own on the ground. Maybe he wouldn't be able to fight off the takedown, but so what? So what if he couldn't fight off the takedown? At that point, it'd be an extremely interesting fight to see how they would match up. I don't think that we'll get it. I think you're right. I don't think there's any way that Nurmagomedov comes back, or at least it seems unlikely at this point, but it is something to, to ponder about how that would go. But just speaking about this moment on Saturday, let's just say it outright. You can't make this claim ahead of time. But there is reason to believe that Charles Oliveira could become a UFC lightweight champion. It's not crazy. It's not crazy at all. He might be. We can't declare that he is. But he might be the best guy in the world at 155 pounds. To be on the run that he's been on is pretty impressive. 
to do what he's been doing to the guys before this fight is pretty impressive. And I know we'll talk about Tony and his state of things in just a second, but I rewatched that fight three or four times now. In the second and third rounds, there's a lot that Tony does right to defend himself. And still, he couldn't really get much going at all because Charles Oliveira was in total and complete command. Um, so in addition to sort of just saying that this guy could be the best 155-pounder on earth, again, I'm not saying that he is, but he's, he's not far from that consideration. Understand, <clears throat> excuse me, this guy made his debut about 10 years ago on the card, which was UFC Jones Matyushenko. This was August 1st, 2010, BC. August 1st, 2010. The fight that preceded Oliveira's debut was Rob Kimmons versus Steve Steinbeis. And you might be like, who? Right. That's the point. This guy began his UFC run in a completely different moment in time in MMA. A utterly different world. He made his debut, I guess, on Facebook, but the main card was on Versus. Right? This is a totally different universe, and he was a very different fighter. Sometimes fighters start this early in the UFC, and then they wash out, and maybe they come back. He stuck around, and we talked about it on Friday, BC. He had his ups and his downs. How many weeks in a row, whether it is Brandon Moreno, whether it is Marvin Vittori, or whether it is now Charles Oliveira, do you have to see, I mean the proverbial you, not you specifically, BC, where fighters start in the UFC at a very young age, and they're good, but they're not great. In fact, they've got some pretty noticeable flaws. But if they stick around long enough and they get just enough wins to hang around, and remember, Moreno washed out for a time, but if they come back and they keep building on what they have, and their youth is not so much a hindrance, but a boon for their future, look at what they can become. Now, just because someone is young in the UFC uh, doesn't mean they're ultimately going to become the next world beater. But you've got to be careful about making a label about who somebody is or what they can be when they're 23 years old, when they're 25 years old. This guy is now 31 BC, and I want to make one final point here, and I'll pitch it back to you, which is you can know how to strike, and you can know how to wrestle, and you can know how to do submissions, but that doesn't mean you actually know how to fight. Because there's something broader about fighting, which is recognizing certain opportunities, knowing when to push, knowing when to hit the brake, knowing what kind of strategy you want to use at a certain time, right? Having a calmness about the process, getting rid of stupid rookie mistakes. Dude, he is so far past all of that. His range command was excellent here. He knew exactly what his task was, and he carried it out to nearly perfection. This guy hasn't just improved as in, in all the different pieces, the composite martial arts of MMABC, but overall his mind, his experience, and understanding how to fight. He is a legitimate threat to that title, and he is a threat to anybody at 155 pounds. Luke, you have the cadence of a college professor. I'm very, you know, transfixed, and I'm there, and I'm with you. You just did a better job than I did of sort of explaining my opening point. I, I mentioned Oliver's confidence that was sort of the musk that attracted me, but it, it, it was sort of the, there was an unknown element to it. And I think that after listening to you say that, I'm realizing there are two different kinds of confidences in the fight game. There's just the balls out. I'm going to refuse to 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 even acknowledge the things that I haven't done yet or don't have or the or the fear that should be here. And I'm just going to be a warrior and walk through and go after it. And someone like Conor McGregor, right, had a just next level, deep, magical level of confidence that he was able to envision things 
before he achieved them and that kind of stuff. That's a special thing to itself. I feel like Oliveira's got the other kind of confidence right now, which basically says, I've been here before and I've failed. I've done this. And he's got the experience of two separate two-fight losing skids and kind of being written off at various times where that fuels if you put your complete game together mentally, physically, emotionally, your you know your your training and nutrition is that, you know where he is right now at the super elite full speed ahead levels we're seeing the the very top ceiling of what he can be and it's it's fun to watch when you see that because here's a guy that goes in there with the confidence not that I'm going to be this badass and and take you out but that everything you show to me I've prepared I've seen it before and I know how to beat it it's scary look when somebody is riding that level of, of belief in themselves it can get scary and it's very fun to watch so I think he's riding that but can we flip the switch on Tony here. Um, yeah. I okay. Don't know. So then, same question. Your biggest takeaway from him? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to come on here and write the obit. Uh, certainly not. Right. These are two hellacious back-to-back tough fights. Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, both would have either given him the title or put him in position to fight for it in some ways. But there's a saying, Luke. I don't know if you're into like uh, YouTube boxing breakdown analysts, but there's this divorce lawyer in California named Richard Dwyer. He used to play a lot of his sound on my boxing podcast back in the day. He's got this quote, Luke. Uh, don't fall in love with a fighter who no longer exists. And that's a quote based on the idea of, you know, holding somebody to their aura and their legend when the magic is gone. And um, the Tony Ferguson of the 12-fight win streak, Luke, he doesn't exist anymore. And that doesn't mean at 36 that he's donezo, but it means for now on this super elite level and this narrative that we've been holding for so long of when's Tony finally going to get that chance to cash in on everything he's built, the win streak, the pound for pound ranking, the badassness, bringing the damn baseball, doing all the weird stuff that he does, giving you gifts after the public workout. We never got to see him freaking cash in on it. And that was really my biggest takeaway almost from the whole card, even separate from the flyweights, was that I felt like, Luke, we saw something end and something else begin. And maybe that beginning is Charles Oliveira now be taken seriously as a major title threat. But he took Tony Ferguson's spot in that conversation by the way he dominated him and by the way that Tony, while yes, looking flat, yes, looking not like the prime version of himself, Every avenue that he tried to open up just got shut right in his face, Luke. He's not the same guy anymore, and it's sad to see. Not sad to see because I'm some Tony super fan, but you want to see somebody have the chance to prove that they are that guy. He got so close to getting that chance for reasons outside of his own control, and I don't know if he's ever going to get that chance now, Luke. Yeah, there's not a whole lot I disagree with, except I would partly... Listen, I'll say this. In terms of what opportunities he might get going forward, you would have to be a little bit concerned because even when he was on that epic winning streak, the poor guy couldn't get a title shot. And we could say it on this show very easily. He deserved bigger opportunities than he ultimately got. And, and, and I'm saying that not right now because he's owed something by virtue of tenure. He was owed something when he was on that win streak. And yes, I know some of that was just injury getting in the way. And I'm not saying the UFC didn't try to make the Habib fight. They tried five effing times. You know, there's just a lot of circumstances that were just bad luck. But in terms of, like, what he was able to cash in on, to use your words, based on what he had accomplished, the game did him wrong a little bit. Um, Whether it was by accident or by intention, it just did. And I think we should say that out loud, and I am. On the other hand, uh, if you're a Tony fan, if he wasn't getting those opportunities when he was winning, and now he is losing, and he's losing quite badly, he got... uh, you know, he didn't get finished in this one, but I mean, he got pr- pretty much as close as you can without getting finished. 
uh, utterly dominated. You know, 30-26 across the board. I mean, Jesus Christ. That is bad, right? So well, not just that, like just dominated on the ground, like like ragdolled and sat on. Luke, you haven't seen this. No, you just haven't. And it was funny. I was. I here's the thing from ABC, and I did say this on my YouTube channel, but it bears repeating because I would love to get your impression of this. It's not science. In fact, what I'm about to tell you is very much just like I don't really know what it means. But BC, you ever see things in life where you have a hard time? Like if someone asked you to defend it. You couldn't really defend it, but it just still sticks with you. It still seeps into your mind, and and it has a powerful effect. I noticed at the beginning of this fight, right, or even before it, when Bruce Buffer was introducing each guy, um, Tony wasn't doing the things he normally does, right? He just kind of slightly, you know, staying warm, kind of pacing, but not really. I went back and looked at the Cerrone and Pettis and Lee and all these fights, and in them, he does the hand roll thing. And he does the, the, the level change takedown slide on each side, right? Like that. His Eddie Bravo wasn't there. Rashad Holloway wasn't there. And he just kind of stood there relative to what he normally does. And then I want to marry that with what he told you last week, which it was a good interview. But he had seen, and we both agreed, that we didn't. he was on the other side of the whole title picture. We didn't know if that meant he was retooling for a different kind of campaign or if something was missing. Well, between what he said there... And he didn't look bad in the second and third rounds, BC. I want to be clear. He looked really bad in the first. He was utterly controlled in the second and third, but he didn't look horrible, okay? But if you just put all that together, what did I notice? It just felt to me like the fire, the the El Kukui swag. I didn't see it. Did you? No, no. And it, and it makes you wonder a few things. And, yeah, you referenced we tried to play – armchair psychologist with Tony from that interview, which is, you know, it's it's, that's, a fool's, that's a fool's mission under any circumstance because Tony's either next level so far ahead of you or he's just behind the left field fence and isn't coming back. But, no, I wasn't able to really gauge. It seemed like a more jovial and fun Tony. I mean, look, I've interviewed Tony before in interviews that didn't get big traffic where he's basically sent me to hell, Luke. I mean, you may have had, you know, all kinds of up and down history with him as well be- yeah. besides him giving you gifts. And when he has that edge – Yes, you see a different version of him in the cage. Uh, do we chalk this up to two really tough matchups? Maybe, but no, he's lost something. It's clear he's lost something. And moving forward, um, you know, is, is he going to be a celebrity BMF guy moving forward? I mean, you know, you know, he's going to get a big fight next because you can't be in the welterweight in the lightweight top ten and not get a big fight. There's so many big names, but you know, I'd almost want a Kevin Lee rematch. Let's get our two guys back together, Luke. And that that's the right kind of litmus test right now to see right. uh, where this guy is because. Um, I don't think he's, you know, in the moment, but I don't think he's getting back here. I don't think he can get back there, Luke. Name-wise, uh, you can always linger and get a title shot. You're always one big win away, name-wise. But, but the fire, man, that, that, that's been put out. I mean, here's the thing. We, 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 you and I were talking about this yesterday when we were trying to come up with the rundown, and even a little bit on Saturday night we were texting back and forth, which is, you know, my theory, BC, you watch a lot of boxing, so you would have a better sense about this than I would. My theory is that in MMA, because the production is controlled by the promoter and because MMA is kind of a very small town, people like don't want to acknowledge decline. And I want to be very clear, you, you know, I'm not, there's still a lot of possibilities about the way this, this career could go. But I think for, if you're a Tony Ferguson observer, at a bare minimum, you at least have to take seriously the idea that decline is upon us. And MMA fans... Never want to have that discussion. And in part, you get it, right? Because you don't want to take anything from Charles Oliveira. And you don't want to be insulting to Tony Ferguson either. But don't you feel like in boxing, BC, that if you begin to see signs of decline, people don't hesitate to point it out. 
No, no, right away. I mean, in boxing, I almost feel like it's even harsher than MMA Twitter, which is ready to write off everybody. Even if, even after a win, people are getting to be written off. In boxing, guys fight even less. They fight against elite guys even less. So it seems like even more the barbershop conversation of, is this guy done? But yeah, there's legit slippage here. And um, the reason why you don't try to overplay it is out of respect, but also there could be bad night at the office, bad fight camp, bad year, right? There could be a lot of that in, and that's why I think we celebrate so much when guys come back and make comebacks when we didn't expect it. But, Luke, how about this? What, what fuels decline? What fuels somebody becoming washed? Well, damaged, certainly. But how about high stress? Tony lives, operates, and peaks under extreme amounts of stress in his interviews, in his quick and almost remarkable comeback from injuries, in his weird-ass training point of view. So, you know, you mentioned the the best we've seen of Tony, he's pacing before his name is even announced. I mean, he is a rabid animal. That's the damn best of Tony. The Tony that came back four months after destroying his knee in the Fox studio to fight Cowboy or Pettis, whoever it was, that's the best of Tony. But you can't do that for that long. So you mix in age 36 and you mix in, Luke, that you can, I mean, look in your personal life. You could only be a, a over-emotional badass for so long. You, you, you get to a certain point where you're like, you know, I chill out a little bit. I, maybe, maybe, his, you know, maybe his body's chilling him out a little bit right now. And, you know, you can live off the legend as much as you can. But the proof, Luke, right, right Floyd? Floyd's got hair, by the way, right now. I want right, to get to Floyd? some breaking news in just a second. But let me ask you this. To what extent do you put stock into the theory claim, and obviously it depends who's saying it, to what extent did the beating he took against Justin Gaethje affect his performance on Saturday night, PC? Yes, yes. I'll get to the breaking it's, news in just a second. Yeah, yeah, wow, wow, wow. Uh, Luke, it's part of what I just said. It's damage plus stress equals decline. You it think really it had is. a role? You, 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 would, you would agree it had yeah. a role? I would agree, yeah. He took yeah. a hellacious beating. And the weird thing was, Luke, he was almost in that fight more than he was the Oliveira one, even though he took insanely more damage, right? He had more offensive moments in there against Gaethje, but he left, He may have left a, uh, whatever was left in him that allowed him to get to that crazy peak. He may have left that, Luke. All right, we have three more points on the rundown. Let me take a moment here to get to some breaking news, BC. Um, so this will we'll make a separate video out of this afterwards for the producers who are watching. All right, so let's get to this. This is not part of our normal rundown. This is breaking news. This comes to us from ESPN's Ariel Hawani. Quote, Yoel Romero is headed to Bellator. Romero has agreed to a new deal with Bellator, sources say. He is expected to sign imminently. He'll debut for the promotion in 2021 at 205 pounds. His debut date and fight aren't set yet, sources say. Let's go through this, BC, if we can. That means if Ryan Bader sticks around a light heavyweight who just lost the title there, you have Vadim Nemkov, you have Ryan Bader, you have Corey Anderson, Anthony Johnson, Phil Davis, Yoel Romero, and who am Leo, I missing? Uh, Leoto Machida, who can Leoto fight in Machida, both weight classes. Gegard Musasi. Gegard Musasi, who can fight in both weight classes. Holy crap, Luke. Your he's reaction. going to light heavyweight, bro. He's going. He's not going to make the crazy cuts. This is his retirement portion of his career, right? Or, or the uh, you know the Shady Acres portion, where he's just going to sit back, relax, have abs in his mid-40s, make 205 easy, and hopefully, Luke, Make some fun, badass fights. Look, I think he has a lot left in the tank, despite his age, from the idea of being a legit title contender. And obviously moving to Bellator, in theory, gets him into those conversations quicker. But we just laid out. 
These are legitimate names. I mean, if somebody like Phil Davis and Machida are just tests at this point, Luke, in the larger division title picture, we're going to see some very interesting fights now. I mean, you know what I said when they signed uh, when they signed Rumble last week on our show? I was like, man, imagine if we can get Rumble and Romero under the Bellator banner, but that's just wishful armchair matchmaking. No, Yoel Romero is now with Bellator, and he's fighting at light heavyweight. These are the right guys to sign if you're Bellator, even though you try to go out of your way to, to not present yourself as the way station, the last stop, right? BKFC is the real last stop for combat guys. But the in-between soft last stop used to be Bellator for guys like Stefan Bonner on the way out of the UFC, Tito Ortiz, blah, blah, blah. You can still sign those names, but sign the guys that seem to have more left in the tank. Rumble Johnson's got some stuff in the tank, Luke. Romero's got some stuff in the tank. Bader showed us he had a lot left in the tank. I like what Scott Coker's doing right now. Even if just from the standpoint of fun matchups that you need to tune in for, this is how you do it. These are the right names. This ain't Bonner. This ain't Ortiz, Luke. I need to see these fights. I mean, if you're Scott Coker, who do you want to sign, right? You want to sign somebody that's got a little life left in him, depending on you know exactly what your ambition is. Yoel's 44, but we both know that's not a normal 44. That's a very abnormal. You would think, what, if you signed a three-fight deal, you'd get three decent fights out of the guy at a bare minimum, potentially a lot more than that. So in that sense, he's good to go in that one. Two, he's I, I don't know how affordable he is, but he's affordable for Bellator given their needs. But three, this is the most important one, BC. If you're Bellator and you have a free agent signing, you want to sign somebody that the fans can not only get you know excited about based on certain matchups in the division, and you now have that, right? But on top of that, just somebody that the fans kind of love. People love watching Yoel Romero. They will follow Yoel Romero. He doesn't have the hugest popularity you know, relative to whoever is out there as an A-lister in MMA, but people just know, man, when Yoel Romero fights, Adesanya fight notwithstanding, it's pretty much action guaranteed or craziness guaranteed or something unusual worth tuning in for guaranteed. If you marry that strategy with what he's doing, which is, the, you know, Bellator can't compete across all the divisions that UFC has. UFC will have the majority of the best talent in those divisions time to t- I mean, most of the time. But if you could pick a division here or a division there, a little bit of space here, a little bit of space there, you can actually do something pretty legit. Go Listen to this again. Again, if Bader sticks around. Nemkov, Bader, Anderson, Davis, Johnson, Romero, potentially Musasi, Machida. That's your 205-pound division. Dude, That you could do an effing tournament with this. Yeah, That's a Liam legitimate, McCready, uh, yeah, real division. And hey, Luke, um, so Scott Coker just pulled a 180, and I think he made the right call as long as financially, obviously he didn't break the bank. We don't know about that. But in where he said at first, I'm not interested in UL, but now I am. At first, Luke, he wasn't too interested in another legend who can fight at 205 pounds. But Andy Silva's still out there. Free agent season, Luke. All right? Okay. Come on now. Come, Come on. on. He, listen, Romero might be expensive, You want to do a tournament? Affordable. Bro, you want to do a, a Grand Prix and get people to care? Tell me this right now, okay? Just, just dude, suspend if, your belief. Like, dude, I was like, you're telling me, do I want to see Nemkov versus Anderson Silva? I would watch it, but it's not competitive. All right. All right. But when Strikeforce announced the heavyweight Grand Prix, true or false, it wasn't just a carnival asterisk you know, guilty pleasure in that moment, you were like, holy shit ring uh, TV ratings wise and fighter rankings wise. This is a, as viable as what the UFC could produce, right? For that division. Yes. At that yes. time for that division. 
Yes. Tell so if if they run out a two hundred and five pound Grand Prix, and let's just go the extra mile and say they got Anderson Silva, and you had Nemkov, Bader, Silva, Romero, Rumble Johnson, Machida, Phil Davis, Musasi, you're telling me this couldn't have, especially with light heavyweight in the UFC being down from a star point standpoint at the moment, not from a good fighter, but star point. You're telling me that wouldn't have the same impact that that great announcement of the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix. And that's considering, by the way, Daniel Cormier wasn't a part of that. And our hope was that we would get like Overeem Fedor. That was big at that time. You're telling me this wouldn't be as big? Luke, it would be. It would be, bro. We'd yes, be, but yeah, you would have to. And I, and I know, Jose, and we work for CBS, but I just feel like if you're going to make that kind of a tournament with these kinds of names, it's got to go on Showtime or Big CBS. I, I don't know that it's the necessarily the right Luke, fit for a Thursday night. I know night you tournament. lean on this a lot as an argument. They're not going to put it on CBS Sports Network on a Thursday night. Them are tent pole events, okay? Uncle yeah. Scott knows what he's doing, all right? All right. All right. In that sense, yes. That's a thing you could do. Absolutely. No doubt about it. So you got to love the signing for Bellator. I mean, there's all. And if you're one of these guys, BC, at this point now, right, with all the names we've listed, and we didn't even mention Liam McGeary and blah, blah, blah. If you're one of those guys, you're like, okay, there's a bunch of good fights for me. There, tournament or no tournament, I don't have like one fight I could chase, and then I'm fighting, you know, Schlubber McGee and Applesauce Fuckface, you know, the last the rest of the year. You have legitimate names people can care about the entire way. And if you're El Romero, you don't have to worry about making weight. You well, don't have to worry weight. about making weight, Luke. Lukey, let's take making weight a little bit further. Do you have to worry about the same level of drug testing either? Uh, <laughs> you know my as, view on as that. As the hook, you as know the hook my at view the on Apollo that, buddy. Theater. You know, yeah, you know, I don't give a shit. I don't care at all. It does nothing for me. So, uh, you know, take them, don't and, take them. And by them, the way, just for full disclosure, because we are always honest, I'm not getting this excited because. We're Viacom, CBS. We own Bellator, Showtime, CBS, like all that stuff. Yeah, it's you know, it, it doesn't hurt. I'm a, I'm a fan of carnival shit. We know that. I love putting old star names together. I love making fun stuff. I want a world where UFC has competitors that are fun that give you a reason to want to go out of your way to see it. I loved me some Strike Force. I have loved Bellator at different points. I'm cheering from this from that standpoint, Luke, because I think there's still life to be made in some of these names. And if you match them again, I mean, look, that heavyweight Grand Prix, not the Strike Force one. How about even the Bellator one? It was fun. It wasn't the best. You had old Chael and shit, but it was fun, Luke. Okay. Dude, no, I want no. Listen, the, the UFC is going to have the majority of the best fighters, which means. You know, in all likelihood, they're going to have the majority of the best fights. But if you're a real fight fan, there's plenty of good fights to have. Forget UFC and Bellator all across the world. But yes, especially in Bellator as well. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of staying up late to watch Hani Marks fight. I'll just want to be honest about that. But or staying Ronnie, up late to watch. Uh, you know, now who's now Ronnie, apparently, which I didn't know. But staying up late to watch these guys, like thinking about the possibilities there, these are fighters that can compete at a high level and in a weight class accommodating of their size at this stage in their career. What is not to like about that? So we'll see how things go, but Bellator's cooking with gas at 205 pounds. All right, BC, let's get back to our rundown if we can. And let's go now to boxing. Anthony Joshua defeats Kubrat Pulev in the ninth round with what I would call a good performance. Not super great, but very good. Good, very solid. Okay, BC, what did you learn about Anthony Joshua from Saturday's fight? Yeah, not to double on the points I made in the instant analysis, but I tried to keep those short and sweet. Um, I learned that this is who he is. 
and who he is, meaning a guy who learned from the defeat to Andy Ruiz the first time around, learned that if you overextend with a chin that is not rock solid, you can get caught. It's a super heavyweight era. I think he learned effectively from that scare. Some fighters are never the same. Some instead put that little nugget in the back of their head of warning and fear, and sometimes they change their style a little bit. Vladimir Klitschko, the second half of his career, was all about safety and defense, and I didn't love it entertaining-wise, but Luke, he made a hell of a lot of money, and he almost set the damn record for heavyweight title defenses. He had some like 22 of them. So you can go a long way learning from the hard lessons you have to learn in this division to still stay on top. And, and look, Lennox Lewis probably did it the best. We've seen him starch twice, but he learned how to come back from that alter style a bit. Emmanuel Stewart in his corner was a big part of that who also helped Klitschko, and he figured it out. Anthony Joshua, I believe, will figure it out, and I think this was the rightful first step. I say first step because the rematch with Ruiz, he wasn't that confident. It, I mean, he won, it was clear, but he was safe. He didn't want to mix it up. In this fight, Luke... He mixed it up when it made sense to. Kubrat Pulev was, Pulev was never really in this fight from an offensive standpoint, but defensively and from toughness and caginess, he was there the whole time. And that's the reason why Anthony couldn't walk him down like he did in round three when he had him hurt and get him out of there in rounds four, five, six, and seven. And if you want that out of him, you got to reconfigure who you think Anthony Joshua is. He's not just vulnerable from the Ruiz fight, right? He got dropped against Klitschko when he ran out of gas. He got hurt really bad against Dillian White. Other people have done things to him. His ability to wear it on his sleeve is part of why we love watching him, but he ain't perfect. But the things he does very well, you cannot find that in the heavyweight division. A 6'6 guy that strong and athletic who can finish you with both hands, who also can outbox you. At worst, Luke, you're looking at the second best heavyweight in the world. So there's really not a lot negative I'm going to say about this. You could come in here with the argument that maybe this knockout should have come in round five rather than round nine or ten. But I'm going to ask you to sit in there with Kubrat Pulev, who can very credibly land right-hand counter shots and say that you know to yourself if you've been knocked out before. He's, uh, he's figured out. This is the, the half-safe, half-dangerous model, and I think it's going to be who he is moving forward, Luke. Yeah, I mean, here is my read on this. I actually feel like... It, it, he split the difference between the second Ruiz fight and, you know, I'm not quite, I'm not quite the Klitschko fight, but at least the the general tenor of how he once competed before losing to Andy Ruiz, which is to say there were times when you could tell he was willing to press on the gas, and that was when he found openings, and it was a little bit safer to do so, but there was still a degree of, not wildness, but, you know, offensive-minded, focused on finishing, Right? He wasn't just content to hurt you and then still lay back. If he had hurt you, he was looking to get the, sh the show closed. He was just willing to take his time to hurt you rather than sort of forcing it in the way that he did before. In many ways, this was one of his more mature performances. I actually liked what I saw in the sense of you still got remnants of the old AJ with acknowledgments that AJ has a lot to lose if, he, in fact, he ever did lose again. And that's not a path he really wants to go down, especially not against a Kubrat Pulev. If it happened against a Wilder or a Fury, biggest fight in British boxing history, some might say, certainly at heavyweight, then, okay, it's a little bit more forgivable. But you can't do it in a mandatory. That's the place that's just, it's not allowed. So I actually sort of liked what we saw there in many ways, certainly more preferable to the second Ruiz fight. Here's what I come away from, though, BC. You mentioned, at worst, the second best heavyweight. See, I'm still not so sure about that. I mean, let me explain what I mean. Is there any denial that he is a better boxer than Deontay Wilder? No doubt about it. If he fought Deontay Wilder, is there a perfectly reasonable case to believe that he would win? If they fought 10 times, maybe seven, eight of those times, 
Yes, in fact, I do. I think he is that much better as know. a pure boxer. I don't know. I mean, look, Wilder's going to have a puncher's chance against everyone, Joshua included. Yeah, I'd favor Joshua, but that's still a tough fight. My so whole point was, outside of that and Fury, I mean, who, who are you going to favor right. over him? I'll okay, t- so yes, in that sense, I just wanted to be clear. I didn't see anything in this fight as, as measured and in control and yet fun in that third and ninth round. I didn't see anything from Joshua that told me, A, he's going to beat Fury, or B, that... Uh, the way in which I felt he matched up with Wilder previously is now different. Now, again, that doesn't mean he can't win in either case per se. I mean, with Wild with Fury, I'm skeptical he, skeptical he can win, but it is possible. With Wilder, you might say he's a better boxer by a mile, but that may not matter in the end because of Wilder's power. So in that sense, nothing really changed for me in that way. I didn't come across like thinking his stock had gone up. What I did see, though, was he's not haunted by the demons of the first Ruiz fight, BC. He yeah. is impacted by them, but not in a way that makes him um, less enjoyable to watch overall, right? But he's always going to be vulnerable. Like, if he fights Dillian White in a rematch, he'll be, there's chances he's going to be vulnerable there, right? You know, like, there, he's always going to be, if he fights Luis Ortiz, he'll probably win, but there's going to be moments where you're like, oh, oh, God, that's who he is. Let's not, I mean, we got to embrace that now. Right, okay. So, with that being said, It gets to point number four, which I want to jump to. Does this mean, BC, that Tyson Fury, who made a video on social media declaring that he had no other choice and and want or need in the world than to fight Anthony Joshua, is that the next fight that is going to get made for both men? Uh, No. They, they're all talking a big game right now, and I like that. I like the confidence that everyone's talking about. Bob Arum tweeted or putting out there with Sports Illustrated that, you know, the framework of a deal is already said. Eddie says, let's try to make it next. Everybody, you know, even Joshua, I know you kind of rightfully criticized him when he was a little bit noncommittal, but he didn't say he didn't want the fight. He's like, hey, if that's the fan, what the fans want and that's the next fight, let's make it. Dude, that's such it. a bullshit answer. Okay, you it's know not it what I'm looking for, Luke. It's certainly not, but it's not avoiding it, okay? He said if, if it's Tyson Fury that's next, it's Tyson Fury – that is next. I think he's, he's making it sound to... like he's making it sound like Tyson Fury is but one egg in the carton of a dozen eggs. They're all the same eggs. Well, Dude, there's a reason they are why not he's... the same eggs. The reason why he's trying to do that because the negotiation financially, Luke, is the big battle for these guys. I, at I this understand, level, but okay? then Tyson Fury goes out and makes shit unequivocal, which is so much more thrilling, so much more interesting, and so much more fun. That should be acknowledged too. All right, let's talk Turkey. Uh, Joshua's got one more mandatory against Alexander Usyk. It's been due for a while. Usyk uh, has said that he doesn't want to step aside. Also, Fury's got a mandatory, which is supposed to be Dillian White, but he got knocked out by Povetkin. Supposedly, they're going to have a rematch soon. It was supposed to be in December. It got moved. Uh, that'll produce a mandatory challenger. How do you get around the mandatories in boxing, Luke? You either pay them millions to step aside, or you give up the title and say, F your title, this super fight that I want right now is bigger anyway. I don't need it. I do not think you can F your title at the moment because of how long and how rare it is to have a real undisputed champion. We've had three belt undisputed champions back when those three belts were the only ones that mattered in the late 90s, right? Early 2000s. We had Lennox Lewis, Evander Holyfield, etc. Uh, Vladimir Klitschko was a three-belt champion, the recognized champion in the four-belt era. But there was always that extra belt floating around to European guys you never heard of. The reality is the best thing that could ever happen for the sport is that the freaking heavyweight division has one name, one face, one champion, no questions asked. Not this lineal crap or, oh, well, technically he's the WBA regular. No, no. We want one champion. I don't think you can give up the belts here. This fight is so 
freaking big right now. How big is this fight? It's the biggest you can make in boxing that doesn't include some type of carnival Logan Paul, Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor type BS, okay? Conor McGregor versus Manny Pacquiao, probably bigger in the end. In terms of actual boxing, biggest fight you can make. In Britain, where they are... Their fan base is a thousand times better than in the U.S. for boxing. This is the biggest fight in British history. I mean, it would do a stadium filled with uh, as many people, a couple hundred if you can put in there, right? It's that freaking big. Um, so, Luke, short of just each guy taking their mandatory fights this spring, which are by far not a gimme for either man. I mean, Alexander Usyk might be the boogeyman in the end of this division if he can do, you know, the type of boxing he did at Cruiserweight. We're going to have to see it first to believe it. But... Maybe you pay them both. Maybe you say that post-COVID, if we get there, and hopefully uh, Dr. Luke Fauci mailed you your vaccine today, Luke. Luke, um, if we can get there, there may be so much money at stake that you can pay either guy a good amount of millions to step aside and tell them, look, it's going to be better for you to fight me after I fight Joshua or Fury. I don't know. But in 2021, before the fight, I said, hopefully by the end of the year, maybe early 2022, you laughed at me. Seeing everybody this in on it right now, Luke, leads me to believe that second half of 2021, we're going to see this. And will it be next? I still can say no until I know that everyone's going to play ball, take their money, sit home, and allow this to happen. We're as close as we've ever been. Hopefully they learned from the theatrics and the stupidness of not making Wilder against Joshua for that two-year period that was so damn viable. Let's do this, Luke. This is a freaking great fight. And I think the argument shouldn't be, is AJ too safe or is he not the same? He's not the same, okay? The argument should be, what did that fight against Pulev do to your expectations of what it will look like when he does fight Fury? That's the, argue- that's the question I want you to answer. Yeah, I mean, it didn't tell me much in the sense of uh, who I thought would win and not win. I mean, here's the interesting part to me about this. I don't have much to add to what you added. You kind of just laid out the, the, the situation for folks. There's mandatories. Either they're going to pay them to step aside or they got to do the mandatories. Dropping the belts doesn't make a whole lot of sense given what the fight could represent if they got them all together, blah, blah, blah. And also, by the way, Usyk might end up beating Joshua. That's not the, I mean, I don't know that he would, but it's not the craziest thought. The only thing I would add is, and this is what I really it really gets to me about defending Joshua's attitude. I get it. Like if you're Joshua's manager that you want him to act the way he did when he was talking to the press after the fight. But you know what I get, you know what the sense is in the difference between him and, and, and fury Joshua even had this message that went on the big board before he made his walkout about, I'm so glad folks are at Wembley, which by the way, was just a COVID Petri dish that night. I mean, my Lord, but okay. Uh, you know, and then the first thing afterwards is like, you ask the fans, like he wants to have this relationship where he's together with the fans and everyone's enjoying the moment. He kept saying, Oh, everyone has a great time here at Wembley and watching at home really almost like the maitre d of the evening, hoping that everyone at the dinner party is have, or the dinner itself is having a good time. Whereas fury is different. Fury says, no, 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 no. I'm together with the fans, but it's not just us sniffing our own farts. It's us together against you and that's what fury never excuse me that's what uh, joshua never does he never takes that moment and then pivots it you know fury's the guy that shows up with the big gang except the big gangs all got baseball bats and they're ready to scrap on behalf of fury joshua just wants to have a dinner party where everyone's getting together and you know you can't walk through the front door if you're not willing to just be a part of that experience well gotta tell you i love fury's attitude a lot better 
Uh, yes, in theory, yes. I don't want to be an AJ apologist because he didn't make the Wilder fight when it was able to happen. And again, there was so much soap opera bullshit in that that it's really hard to know who was telling the truth and who wasn't. But you mentioned AJ the Mater D. I mean, he has fought three to four times in front of crowds between 80 and 90,000 in which he came out, Luke, to a giant A and a J behind him that was lit on fire and he came up on a ramp like a rock star. So he does have a certain connection to fans in sort of almost making boxing like like uh, a concert. So uh, I guess I can defend that. You want him to say the name? Okay, say the damn name. He said the damn name, Luke, okay? We got to make this damn fight already. Oh, my God, this is a big-ass fight. Um, and for everyone that's saying, look, I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to pick Tyson Fury to beat AJ because from the beginning, I'm telling you Tyson Fury is the generational heavyweight of this era. But I don't think this Pulev performance took me out of that anymore in terms of AJ's chances. Look, he's going to have a great chance to win that fight. Like Tyson Fury is not immune to getting hit and getting hurt. And AJ six foot six and jacked with quick hands. He can hurt Tyson Fury. You certainly want to favor Fury to outbox him. I don't, I don't believe we can look at who Fury was in that second Wilder fight and believe that that's a scenario that's going to keep happening. He fought a great game plan. Wilder was not there that night and it was a beautiful stoppage, but that's not going to be what's happening every single fight. So, um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to get there. Real quick, Luke, we held Deontay Wilder over the damn coals for all the excuses he made. I don't know if you saw an interview that Alexander Usyk did in Russian in which he came out and said he believes Derek Chisora was wearing loaded gloves in that fight with him. He believes the referee was against him, and he's also calling out the commission in England for having very loose ropes. And Usyk won the fight, so he's not making excuses as to losing it, but maybe into why it was that close. Should we be publicly taking a taking a deuce on this guy? Ooh. Is it because we like him more, Luke? Because he's white. Yeah, we do we like can't him criticize more, yeah. him. I mean, what you know? Yeah, I mean, if you if you you know if you're the guy who uh, wins all the belts in your weight class, and then you have there's nothing left for you, and you move up and you win against the guy who you're complaining against. You know, people are going to be pretty favorable towards you. Um, I don't know. I'd have to think about that one for a second. That's an interesting case. But he's definitely, like, I, and I liked Fury before, excuse me, I liked Wilder before the second Fury fight. But then afterwards, it was just like, ugh, you know. Last thing on this on Fury, though, you know, yes, can AJ knock him out? Of course, AJ can knock anybody out. But, like, if he needs to fight safe like he did against Klitschko, Fury can. And if Wilder couldn't put him down with that punch in the 12th round, or whatever round it was, 11th or 12th round, in the first fight, I, you oh, know, does down. Joshua really stand a chance? Maybe. Maybe he's a little bit more concerted with and, and you know, strategic with his approach, but I tend to like Fury's chances pretty significantly in that fight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. I'm Last but not least, tons of other standouts from the weekend, including on UFC 256. BC, I would love to know who you thought else deserves a shout-out. Let me guess. Back to the boxing card, it's Huey Fury? Uh, no, no, that was a little bit of a uh, extra sloppy there uh, in the lunchroom with uh, Marty Uswak. Let's completely stay at UFC 256 here, Luke, because there were so many other standouts. I mean, let's talk about it. Kevin Highland had the, the year of, of almost all years for somebody who didn't fight for a title. I mean, he's legitimately in your fighter of the year, at least discussion area for what he did and his ability to not only manhandle and finish Jacare in such stunning fashion was was mind-blowing given the ridiculous confidence he shows but the unique way he did it basically off his back Luke 
is this guy special or is he just a loud mouth on a win streak? I mean, there was something that jumped through my screen that was like, I don't think I can, you know, like when a guy's rising, you're sort of like, all right, let's wait and see. But in the back of your mind, a lot of times you're saying, all right, I don't believe, I don't believe it. So I see, I don't know what to believe anymore after this performance. Yeah. Jock Ray's 41, but he was supposed to be that Hoska wood that was going to make it really hard for Holland to win this and look great doing it. Luke, he won it. He looked great doing it. And now he's calling out Kamzat to fight him tomorrow. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Inject me, please, please, Luke, please. That was pretty damn impressive. That guy can find offense virtually everywhere as you brush your teeth like a weirdo with your finger. Is that how you brush it at night, too? Whew, I had to rub that on my gums for a second, Luke. I mean, are you kidding me? Imagine if they had the balls to do that. Yeah, next week, Holland. Uh, Chimaev, we'll find out who's the best damn young stud in this game. I mean, come on. That's a ballsy call-out. I know he's telling the guy to come up and wait a bit, but that's a ballsy call-out, Luke. Certainly is. I- I'm going to point to, and the- you may get to it on Have You Seen This Shit, so I won't I won't belabor the point, but you know, there's a lot of ways you could go. You could go Cub Swanson doing amazing stuff, but uh, Rafael Fazayev, BC, I'll-, I'll make it fast. He is shorter than most of these guys at lightweight. He is uh, less reached than most of these guys at lightweight. And he is just knocking fool. Well, he didn't knock out Mark Giacchese, but he beat him. And here against Hanato Moicano, my God, he went high, low, side to side, and then changed rhythm through the course of the distance closing in the combination and then sent this dude to the land of wind and ghosts. Now, was the stoppage all that great? No. I think it's forgivable based on the way that Moicano landed when his head bounced off the canvas and the hands kind of came up a little bit. Chris Ioni's doing his best job. Not the cleanest stoppage. I understand Moicano if he's upset about it. Still at the same time, BC. Just talking about Fazayev. They gotta stop, they gotta stop striking with this guy for right now. Maybe the elite guys can handle him like that. I don't know. But the rest of these donks at this level, as he climbs the ranks, get on the wrestling shoes when you're on the mat training for this dude because it will go poorly for you if you stand too long. Dude, I need the hat. I need the t-shirt. I, I need the action figure. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm ready to just, like, shamelessly jump on board here. Because that, I mean, if it had come against any donk, it's still impressive. Luke, we would, tell me or tell me if this is wrong. About three minutes, two minutes before that knockout, the narrative really was, oh, my God, Moicano at lightweight is pretty freaking damn good. Yeah, he's right. got the weird touchy-feely neck tap, but uh, maybe he can star in uh, Mr. Faber's uh, second weed thriller. But, like, this guy's really good and responsible and unique and creative and I actually liked early on how Moicano was kind of no-selling these wild strikes that are flying by his head and staying poised uh, you can't stay poised cooking in this man's kitchen for too long Luke he's going to shove the food in your mouth all right he's going to pull push it down your throat um wow what a Luke what a freaking year right you know the MVPs of this year in MMA are going to be all Dana and COVID and all that but in a year that should have been awful in the sport of boxing obviously did not produce a great year, right? We saw very few really big fights. It was hard to keep the thing on the damn track. The best thing UFC has done for us all year, even separate from the flyweight division, was give opportunity to these itchy guys who were willing to fight four or five times and and prove that they're next. I feel like every week we find another one. We almost had another one with Billy Q, but he lost this time. I mean, it's like every week there's another person jumping out. That's fun, Luke. That's why you can cut old rich guys who are on the way out, right? Because you got these young studs coming yeah. up right now. I mean, it goes back to the JDS, and we didn't talk about it against Cyril Gaon, and then Jacare. It's like, are those two more expensive than Cyril Gaon and Kevin Holland? Yeah, probably. But Kevin Holland and Cyril Gaon just stopped them both with strikes. So this argument that the Contender Series guys are cheaper and that's who they want, it's like, well, 
Sort of, but that doesn't mean what you think it means. All right. With that in mind, BC, it's time for you and I to stop asking each other questions. It's time to get to the folks who ask us questions, the donks out there. It's time for DMs from donks. There's the animation. All right, BC, someone has a uh, question for us here from Teeper Ramsey. Hypothesis. American wrestling is overrated. What does that even mean? Evidence. Habib, greater than Justin. Oliveira, than Tony Oliveira, of course, is uh, Brazilian. Uh, Anderson, Chael. <laughs> yeah, Please what does discuss. that have to do with him being Brazilian? They're trying to say that all these American wrestling stars got dominated by non-Americans. Like, yeah, I know, so but it's from the domination of American wrestling affecting best practices. The argument is absurd. Are you saying it's promotional malpractice to present in the case question? of in the case of Habib, there's a rooted tradition in that part of the world to have their own wrestling. So that's a little bit different. And they do have a slightly different game that those guys play, particularly as it relates to the fence line. But in the case of like the general level of wrestling overall, uh, if you watched MMA 10 years ago, it was all Americans just dominating with this shit. Now, the best practices have gotten out there, and as a consequence, you're seeing Europeans who can wrestle quite well, and blah, blah, blah. But like, like not only is American wrestling not overrated, it's not as dominant as it once was, but it's one of the most important contributions to mixed martial arts ever. So you're saying it was just a matter of time, right? With, with like international basketball catching up with the U.S. in 2002, Precisely. it was just a matter of time. That's exactly Look, who's it. the best female... MMA wrestler in the game today. I don't know offhand what that answer is. What's would, it, answer? would it be Sarah McMahon? Really? Silver medalist in the fucking Olympics? Like, yeah. Well, I'm saying in, in terms of their ability to bring oh, it to the cage oh. and be at that at that high, high level. Like we say, like, GSP, you know, Habib, two of the greatest, you know, MMA wrestlers we've ever seen. Um, that's a great you know, question. Gable. I mean, Cyborg is up there. Um, she's pretty good when she wants it. Um, let me think about it. That's a tough one. That's actually, you know, just pure, like, Carla Esparza? Andrade, decent takedowns, right? She can knock you out yeah. with her takedowns. That's true. Uh, I'm not sure. That's a great question. It's a really good one. Uh, uh, Gedalia's got good takedowns. We'll revisit um, it in the future, Luke, okay? Yeah, Thank okay. You. Very good. So, uh, Misha yeah, Tate. Hey, do you, see, do you see Misha takedown Tate is uh, training again at Couture's? Uh, doesn't she still work for one? Yeah, she she didn't announce like I'm coming back to fight or anything, but she announced uh, on Instagram that she's like back training again, and it, and so it's interesting. She's only so did she move Luke. back from Singapore? What happened? I don't know the situation, but I have read the uh, bloody elbow report on Chatri and one. <laughs> not Luke. Not awesome. Not awesome. But dude, not... you know what? BC they figured out weight cutting, so everything's fine. I mean, every claim they've ever made. Probably not true, Luke. Yeah. Probably not true. All right. Yeah. Pro- yeah. Probably. Probably. Uh, all right. Yeah. At Cody.Tafoya, has Hedron... Oh, you got to be fucking kidding me. Oh, what a how- stupid oh, ass God. question. You, you thought Luke had long-winded USADA takes. Here we go. Here we go. Go ahead, linguist. Go ahead. No, no. You can go first, ass face. Has head trauma <laughs> caused Brian Campbell to be a shithead? I don't know if it's uh, head trauma, but I've really taken a lot of head trauma in my life, Luke. All right, yeah. Take Listen, it to I actually was very you. nice about this yesterday. You can be mean, but in the interest of helping people understand this, um, there is no controversy around her accent. Uh, I suspect that there are a lot of people who don't know others who are dealing with various complications that come from language immersion, either trying to learn another language in another country or having proficiency in different languages 
but having one of them impacted by the social circle you keep, which can be the way in which you utter words for their length, intonation, blah, blah, blah. I tweeted out a couple of scholarly articles about this yesterday. It's actually called language accommodation, and there's two kinds called convergence and divergence. She has what's called the convergence of language accommodation. This is a well-documented phenomenon. It can even happen between native speakers like... For example, they talked about Meghan Markle, who was married to, was it, Harry? Well, the, the former prince, whatever the fuck her name is. And um, she is from California, obviously. And then if she had spent so much time in England, she was changing the way in which she was pronouncing American Yeah, but words, it happens over words. time in those situations. I think people are in making the... Uh... The assumption that it happened so fast that she went from zero to a hundred. It didn't happen fast. Like- the videos, the the best videos that they have showing this is is a minimum of several years. I mean, my fate. Well, he's not anymore. But for a time, one of my favorite bloggers back when blogging was a thing in the aughts was Andrew Sullivan. And this is a guy who grew up and spent the majority of his life up to that point in England. He was British. If you listen to him now, his accent is virtually gone. Now, I understand what we're talking about here. You're talking about a long period of time. Okay, but I'm talking about a massive change in the way that somebody speaks where they go from sounding British to almost entirely American. Again, and and by the way, this will be different depending on some languages have greater accommodation than others. Um, Some social circles force it. But this is just a function of the fact that she largely lives in a world in an English-speaking world uh, generally, but she has her entire social circle as a function of Portuguese. And so when she goes back to English, she is going to have some adaptations related to the way that all of them speak English given their Portuguese background. It is not a put-on. It is not an act. It is not a scandal. It is a well-documented phenomenon. Y'all got to cut her a fucking break. I'm not going to try to act as arrogant as the people who make the joke all the time of this, but it did seem like it happened overnight, and it was so much of it. It didn't seem like it happened naturally, Luke. It felt like it happened like I am purposely trying to show you that I am real and authentic. My dad is from here, so I will, you know, like. No, I don't know. Okay. Hey, Luke, uh, she didn't she didn't she didn't really win that fight, though. Right. I know she was she was fighting female Hermes, but she didn't you know, she didn't look like she won that fight. Sort of. I mean, I wouldn't have I didn't I didn't think anyone put their stamp on it. But I will say this, I wasn't overblown by her stand up, Mackenzie's like it's pretty simple, you know. She doesn't have like she doesn't have a lot of weapons. Like Charles Oliveira's got a lot of weapons just standing. Forget about the ground, you know. But uh I mean she got it out, but this fight makes yes. me believe that her run as a you know, a title contender is farther away than than shorter term. Yes, I would agree with that. I mean she you know, several hurdles for someone transitioning from jiu-jitsu to MMA. And one of them is, can you get comfortable striking? Okay, she's definitely comfortable striking. I don't think you could take that away from her. But is she, like, super well-skilled? It's pretty meat and potatoes, you know. And when you consider how advanced her grappling is, it's not, you know, there's a massive divergence. All right, BC. Uh, yeah. At Pastor Blinn, is Tony's lack of perceived structure, as you read your phone, Around his training, no, sorry, there's contribute- breaking news, dude. I, I'm checking to see if there's more of it, but it was just it was just uh, Romero's managers confirming the news. Okay, that's all that happened. You're just Thanks. you're just looking at TikToks of women dancing. All right, is Tony's <laughs> lack of perceived structure around his training starting to contribute to his decline in performance? Is it time, BC, to maybe look at appointing a head coach and not have such a randomized training schedule? Um, it wouldn't be a bad time. Is it necessary? I don't know. It depends on how Tony can regroup, recharge, figure this out. But when you are unorthodox for so long, Luke, um, and you begin to naturally slow and decline, think Roy Jones Jr., 
you may, you know, to, to be unorthodox, you, you typically have to be a great athlete or be a slugger, right? Usually it's, it's, I'm a great athlete, so I can break the rules. I can do wild things and stuff. It's going to be harder to pull that off when you're slowing down. So if that's the case, um, adding more structure, more tradition, uh, could, could, could help the long term here, but Tony's not going to do that. This is Tony, right? He's going to go down and fl- Luke, he will, um, he will burn out before he fades away, right? I I just feel like if you got a coach in there, I mean, maybe on some level, if the coach had a real, uh, you know, a minimal amount of influence about something very specific, like there's one little thing they want you to work on, could that be helpful? Yeah, I think that could. But some guy come in there and just trying to like rewire how everything works, I honestly wonder if it might make him worse, you know, because he's so used to one way being the way and now you're seeing all the problems with that one way at the end of the run not the the very end of the run but you know as the run begins to lose some of its magic you know just going all the way another direction bc you know you might take away what makes it like you might do more good than harm or more more harm than good by changing everything up he kind look it's a joke but it's true kind of needs a coach latori kind of needs a (laughs) uh a mascot i mean we'll give coach latori some postpartum time post, uh, you know, post, uh, co- post, post coital there to, uh, recover and come back in the corner. Luke, after you're, the, you're a the, sick uh, man and you need psychological counseling, but you uh, know, somebody that isn't there so much for strategy, but is there for whatever you need to fuel your weirdness or your passion or whatever yes. for Mike Perry. It's, it's his woman who he worships to be like, you're doing great, honey. For other people, it's weirdos like Josh Fabia reading your uh, horoscope before you go out for the next round, Luke, okay? <laughs> All right, like, yeah, everybody need every, weirdos need something, Luke, okay? He needs to find his own weirdo in there, right? I, that, that sounds more right to me than just coming in like, let's just have structure. Like, I've never been in Jackson the military. You know, no. Just trying to do it at age 37 is not going to work. All right, at St. John underscore C.A., uh, BC, this is from Showtime's Boxing. Arboleda goes down a second time, face first. Good or bad ref stoppage to wait for the third knockdown? A little late for me. Yeah, you, they could have stopped it on that second knockdown there in the, what is it, the ninth or tenth round, whatever, it was the final round of the fight against Chris Colbert. Uh, but I think even though the guy went face down, there's the old adage, right? Uh, the, the old Showtime color commentator, the great Ferdy Pacheco, the doctor, used to always say, if they fall down face first, you don't have to count. You know, he famously said that in the uh, Maurice Blocker-Felix Trinidad fight. But uh, typically when they go down face first because they're not cold, you go down face first, but you get back up, it's a difference. You know, he read each, each referee has a different strike zone, but you read the eyes of the guy. They now in boxing, of course, make you do the dance, you know, walk, do basically the DUI, uh, read, you know, read the alphabet backwards, walk sideways, walk forward. You good? You good. I, I mean, look, I will say this for how far we have come. You want to go back in the 1950s and 60s and watch uh, a boxing match, Luke? Somebody get a knockdown. The fighter, in a lot of cases, is allowed to stand pretty damn close to where the fighter's knocked down. And the second he's back up, they restarted it. And the guy goes, and I'm, I'm glad that we're so far removed from that, of course. But I think we're in a very safe era for as safe as you can make this without ruining it, without making it something other than boxing. And I'll still rely, for the most part, although we have a lot of scabs and, and clowns in this game, I'll still rely on the ref to be able to see something in a guy and say, He's got a chance to turn this around. Maybe he saw something, Luke. All right. You love there, you love old people and all the mistakes they make. Wow. <laughs> Man, you you've got a boxing sized chip on your shoulder, Luke. You hate 
the fact that you hate all, I mean, you hate it for all the right reasons, right? I mean, there's the reasons. I mean, I'm an addict. I can't get away from this sport, Luke. I get it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, okay. And then last but not least, BC, this is an interesting one from, from Anvik. How likely is it either of you are on someone's list a la Steve Buscemi in Billy Madison? Who ah. wants to kill you, BC? Oh, that's the thing. In life, Luke, it is a, look, it is a tough juggle because, you know, our show is a little bit more off the rails than traditional shows, Luke. And as you've found out through the years, you know, fighters have very big egos and small, you know, like they don't take criticism well in a lot of cases. You no. really are one joke, one sentence away from potentially, begin, you know, getting sent to hell in a public <laughs> setting by a fighter. Um, But you do try to avoid, Luke, creating mortal enemies in this game right or and just you know for the sake of it just driving the the joke or the nail through someone's heart um i hope we don't ever have somebody who has us on a list with a shotgun and some lipstick playing uh elo's telephone line luke as they go glad i called that guy but um you probably more likely than me although there are seemingly the same consistent people who hate me online you know but i think they're just big fans of you luke and traditionalism, right? And Maybe. not and conformity and and structure and and lack of fun and just sort of like I want the news, give me the news. And maybe those are the people that watch on Sundays, Luke, on your personal channel instead of this show. So, you know, who am I talking about? Yeah, you're you're welcome for posting that because it actually boosts traffic here over the long run. But here's what I'll say: I think it takes a little bit of arrogance to think that people dislike you. That not, not you. I'm using the proverbial you to dislike you that much. I mean, people will hate you and me. Yes, of course. That, that part is true. But so much so that they, like, really fucking hate us. You know, it always reminds me, like, I don't get on Facebook much anymore, but sometimes when I do, I'll see people I went to high school with, you know, being like, you know, rise and grind, shake off the haters today. And I'm like, bitch, you know, you are an accountant. You don't have haters. No one gives a fuck about you. No one, no one on earth gives a fuck whether you live or die. You understand that? You don't have it. You have to be like, do something well, to have haters in life. You don't have fucking haters. So I don't know, Luke. I'm from a factory town. Some of my uh, Facebook <laughs> friends, ex-high school people, they tend to post a lot of drama, Luke. Okay. They told somebody no, all the haters. That's just having an ordinary life. Haters are when you have like a dedicated group of people, a noticeably sized group of folks, not just the people in your fucking, you know, family or town. Uh, where everyone knows everyone else's business, who are like really into fucking hating you. You have to do something for that. Most people like, you know, shake the haters off. Bitch, you don't have haters. You don't have anything going on in your ordinary ass fucking life. I don't know if we have haters. That's such an elitist like, take. What an elitist is it? I don't really think I have haters. I have a people that like, I mean, yes, there's plenty of people if you want to search around and disagree or hey, dislike keep, me. I mean that. But you got here's what I mean. You know, keep you know saying who no has, to that homeless say, guy? Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know who has keep haters? Say no to that guy. Hold on, let me You'll fucking find finish. You know who has haters, BC? Like, Joe Rogan has haters. You know why? Because Joe Rogan has an insanely popular podcast. And maybe some of those criticisms are right, maybe some of them are wrong. He's got haters. You got to do something to have haters. Who else has haters out there? Uh, fucking John Princess Jones. Die had John haters, Jones okay? has haters. All right, what? Princess Di had a lot of haters, okay? That was somebody... <laughs> yeah, they fucking, like, you know, killed her over it, basically. I will like, say, that... if Luke, if you don't start spotting that homeless guy soon, at least for one set, you're going to find a big <laughs> hater in your life, all right? You're going to find him in your house, brother, okay? So please. It, it, I was like, I'm just trying to tell you, it's not an elitist take. You want to have a positive attitude on your Monday mornings to go out there and carpe diem and seize the day? Great. But people just like to imagine shit like, oh, it's Tupac, me against the world. No, 
Tupac had haters. You just have neighbors that don't like the fact that you irregularly mow your lawn. Those are not fucking haters, okay? The fact you got a big-ass squat rack in the middle of your yard. Yeah, they're just, yeah, all right. Uh, I was like, I have sent BC the pictures. BC, can you describe the front yard gym to the folks? It's, I mean, it really looks like the, the, the prison yard where you're allowed like one hour a day to go out and play basketball. Yeah, it's great. I, dude, I got to replace that wood fence I have with just chain link and barbed wire. I got to do it. I got to get a guy at the tower, a sniper at the tower ready to shoot me at any time I try to break free. Woo. Yes. All right. All right. With that in mind, let's go to some place where we can be haters, BC. Yeah. Time for you to steal the show. Actually, this is how we will make people's lists by laughing at these videos. Luke, we scour the globe, the highs and lows, the in-between, the good, the bad, the ugly, all that good stuff. It's have you seen this shit, Jay? Thanks for jumping. The- Maybe Jay's upset we haven't called on him. Jay, can we call Fuck on Jay. you quick to troll the fans? Jay, what is going on in your wall in the studio there? It's like on. Is that lava? What's happening, Jay? Uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. It's uh, they're, those are nano leaves. They're very small right now because I'm very small in the frame, but they're great. They make colors. I have no haters. Oh wait! Yeah, you, you don't have ha- you have people who mock you, but you don't have haters. Except for everyone who works with Morning Combat or watches it. Besides <laughs> uh, that, yeah, I'm pretty sure if you check the chat right about now, you would uh, yeah. be able to pick out five or six that. Besides might want them me. and your ex-wife yeah, yeah. Jay, you're doing great. All right, no, everyone loves you. Okay. No, no she loves fans. me. She gets BC. I'm sorry, not BC. Sorry, Jay. Real quickly, what do you make of my haters thesis? Like to really have haters, you have to do something pretty special in life. Um, I don't know. There might be people that hate you like a lot. I, I get your point, but I think you might be underselling how uh, much people might dislike you. No, they dislike me. I just don't give a fuck, and I don't really pay a lot of attention. Well, I pay some attention to it, but... Doesn't but, mean there's uh, not a man sitting it your life. on lipstick. Jay, you know. when can we expect your new documentary to come out? Uh, sometime between now and the time I die, or maybe after. All right. Well, you had a good run on top, all right, Jay? Thank you very much. No, it was Let's- good. Two- 2015... Jay, time to hit the button now. Here we go. Hey, let's start off with some UFC 256 feels, Luke. Uh, we, we talked up Rafael Fiziev as an absolute monster. Can we show this four-piece with a, with, a, uh, with a muffin and a side of uh, slaw? 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 Uh, Luke, this was nasty. I mean, can you Dude. give me the breakdown on this? This was Yeah, beautiful. I mean, look, he goes left to the body. He, like, darts in left to the body then goes right upstairs, and then the left upstairs is delayed. He doesn't go boom, boom, boom. He goes boom, boom, boom. You know, think about it. We see a lot of great one-punch knockouts, and they typically end up in this show. You don't see a lot of, like, that four-punch combo that, that Conor McGregor finished Eddie with, and you surely don't see it at a, you know, quasi-elite level. This is, be- this, is a be- this is a piece of artwork right here, Luke. And he's shorter than all these donks? You know? Yeah. It's just good to see a guy in the UFC who is uh, got you know Z's and V's in his name, but has a full mustache in his beard. You know what I'm saying? A little diversity oh. there. He's also got a bit of style. Can we show the hat? I know we showed it earlier on the weigh-in pick. This is kind of cooler than Habib's, right? Well, it's the it, it, aren't these the traditional hats they wear in winter? Like I don't know the name of it, but it is cool. Looks like what the chicks were wearing in Spies Like Us. Great movie from the 80s, by the way. All right. Uh, I'm all in on the Fiziev hat. I would wear it. Thank you. Let's move on. Hey, Luke, we mentioned Cub Swanson, and he certainly had an impressive finish. But he's added to his tack game over the years. I don't think he gets the love that he enjoys. This is one of the better packages in the game. Am I right? Are you talking about his balls or his tats? <laughs> no, no, his his tats. There's so many. There's so much bad tat work in this game. All things considered, look at the look at the full man. That's pretty solid, right? Yeah, I mean the work he's had done subsequent to UFC or uh, to WC, excuse me, 
has, is significantly better than the work he had done pre uh, UFC. I don't know if he goes to TJ. I think TJ gets tattooed by that guy Bang Bang. I don't know if he goes to him or not, but um, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Bang Bang has done time. Thank you. That's where that's probably where he learned the art. He's a good ass now tattoo I'm artist. On, I'll tell you that. Now I'm on Bang Bang's list. All right. Well, hey, shout out to the body of Cub Swanson's work right there. It is a wonderland. Hey, Chase Hooper came back, Luke, to open this fight card with a uh, with a really big win for his growth. But how about this Imanari roll? Is that what it is, or is it a or is that a sushi dish to uh, no, set up the submission? It's, it's an Imanari roll. He did. You it. impressed yeah. with that? That's beautiful. Uh, I, I am, but it's like, you know, again, Oliveira made his debut when he was 20, 21. So, you know, you got to cut the kid a break. But my man's got a lot of work to do if he wants to stick around. He's obviously dynamite on the ground, and this was amazing, especially because, you know, he was losing this fight, right, for the most part. Uh, so, shouts to him. The kid's tough, and he's got sick ground skills. But, you know, he's got this. If he doesn't fill out the rest of them, you know, not everyone's going to fall for this, you know. What happens sooner? Chase Hooper takes another bad L or Joe Rogan republishes your, your uh, interview from the JRE podcast on YouTube? He, he, it's, it's all up on Spotify, including the video. You can go, I checked it out. He had to take it down uh, because of some Spotify rules. So the right. clips are up on the JRE Clips channel, and then the full thing, video and audio, is up on Spotify. Uh, Luke, this was a highlight so nice. I have to play it twice. I don't care that we did this on Friday. Jay, can you hit it? UFC 254. I mean, this guy Magomed dropped Matus on his damn head, Luke. How is he alive, bro? Bro, these guys are made of something different than you and me, man. I mean, that's death. That's death. You have the video, Jay, or just the still? All right, just the still. Let's move on. I was going to say, he almost got Scorpion there, but that wasn't the worst Scorpion of the week, Luke. Did you see this? These are not good friends. <laughs> oh, I mean, who would you rather be? Matuas mm. Matus or this chick? Is this, where is this, Philly? Yeah. Oops. Bach. Oh, God. That was me wow. asking John Jones a question at the 214 presser. Yes, it was. Yes, you got this Scorpion. Is UFC, uh, speak- this is UFC staff handing me the microphone. Bach. I don't like you, Luke. I'm not going to answer your question. Oh, okay. All right. Luke, Here we go. Speaking of scorpions, you can call this guy Dwayne the Rock Johnson because he's the new scorpion king of the slopes. Luke, this is not going to end well, so get ready. Wow. <laughs> my neck. My back. Oh, no, no, just my back. Wow. Yeah, no, just my back. I'll never walk again. That was a good run, though. All right. Hey, let's go over to Cage Warriors. Check out this stupidly insane multi-combination punch knockout here from Mihal Figlak. Check this body of workout. That's not a real name. Give it to him. Give it to him. Oh, my God. I mean, that's even better than the Fiziev one. That's insane. Looks like he faded him over to the right and then finished him off that way. That was nice. Polish power. Wow. All right. Hey, uh, let's move on to the batting cages. Hey, Luke, good news. 364 more days until hockey tryouts. This is why you don't drink and bat. If you fall down in the line of fire. Oh, you no, probably... no, 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 no. <laughs> Get young Coach Latori out of there. What is going on here, Luke? Come on. I got to wow. tell you, though. See, here's the thing. You know she's not in, like, the 65-mile-an-hour batting cage because the ball yeah. has arc to it, you know? That's, that's, that's what is that, the 15, the 25? Not that, not that bad. That's uh, slow pitch softball, basically. 40 says Jay. That's, is that 40? That's not 40 miles an hour. All right. Can people that's hear hilarious. Jay? I have no idea. I have no idea. 
All right. Hey, tip on tip time. Luke, did you see this picture from UFC middleweight champion Israel Adesanya and Andre Galvao? Luke, it's, it's a phenomenon. Double two-handed tip to tip. It's Andre Galvao. And yes, I, said, I saw it only because 50,000 of the viewers sent it to me. Uh, how could I miss it? Okay. Uh, speaking of tip to tip, Luke, who needs a fist bump when you can go dick to dick? What are the Bills doing here, bro? You know what? Josh Allen's a stud. I mean, they're winning. All right. Shout out that. Hey, isn't that um, Ariel Hawani's favorite football team? You'd Shout have to ask to him. Right. You'd have to ask All him. All right. Hey, Luke, this got sent in to a, by us by a viewer named Eduardo Reyes on Heroes of Gujitsu. Uh, they had a little tip to tip moment recently. I have no idea what this is, Luke. You? Which one of these two are is you, and which one is me? That's got to be me on the right, rugged, you know, like intense. You're very, you know, serious on the left. Yeah, I think that's fine. All right. Boy, hey, you, Luke. Uh, what, when you look in the mirror, I'm not sure you see what you're supposed to, but okay, keep going. I see what I feel, Luke. If it, you know, like it's a feeling. It's more of like a feeling. Fair enough. Else. Fair enough. Yeah, you're you're wrong about this one, BC. I mean, Luke is clearly the devil, and you're the small white Jay, guy. Can they hear the you call Luke the devil there? Or yes. I have to no, no, no. This this time they could hear. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Hey, let's go to ACA MMA in Russia, Luke. Uh, if you want to recreate the closing seconds of Holloway Lamas, uh, don't do it with Levon Makashevili. Good night. Wow. These Georgians, bro, they're different, man. They got longer. These fucking guys, I'm telling you, Georgia just all of a sudden exploded into MMA. Yeah, I mean, look at Wow. Yeah, you can't stand and bang with a guy like that. You cannot do it. All right. Hey, let's go over to one championship, Luke. This following highlight was watched by a world record 84 billion people. Oh, my God. That's assault, brother. Did you see that shit, Luke? Yeah, usually that's the that's uh, forbidden in certain tie boxing competitions. But like S1 allows it. And I guess one says you can do that shit, too. Good Lord. Jonathan. That's that, 12 to, that's, the, that's that 12 to six banger right there. Yeah, I think even even Matt Hamill heard that one. God. Wow. All right, Luke. Uh, boxing in Germany on Saturday. This man's name is C.W. Roman Press. He scored a fourth round knockout to remember. Wow, Luke. That Anthony Joshua uppercut player. Yeah, let's raise a pint Ooh. of uh, fine Heffenweizen for that. That, right? that Pavetkin Dillian White fucking you know, night night yep. ender. Lennox Lewis, Michael Grant. Yeah, that's a beautiful. Also, uh, Arlovsky and uh, Matt Yushchenko, same punch. AJ Klitschko, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, speaking of fights in Germany, Luke, I need you to focus your eyes this entire video on the chick with the red horns and the yellow outfit. Um, I've seen the devil, Luke, and it's this chick. Watch the shit that she starts, okay? All right, no one's going to tell her how to dress, where to be, where to go, okay? Boyfriend's trying to calm her down. She's starting fights. She's drinking too much, right? Oh, wow. Oh, take some of that. Oh, yeah, right? Oh, okay. shit. Ferocious. People are like, who brought this chick? She's taking down two guys, Luke, but it doesn't end there. Look at her take a bite out of crime right about now. Oh, <laughs> wow. Single Good. white female, Luke. Ugh. Now, does that make you nervous or like aroused? Uh, A little both. Okay. All right. All right. No word yet if she has Latino roots, Luke, but she's fantastic. Okay. She's all yours. Uh, Luke, we know that training methods um, differ by country. Can we go over to the Dagestan desert here with Zabit 
Magomed Sharapov, look, he's throwing rocks to get. Uh, <laughs> and if he runs out, he can just pound the sand, Luke, right? Is this traditional? What's going on here? I don't know, bro, but this dude's going to be a money puncher and or shot putter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, keep doing it. You know what? Sometimes right. you, like, like, like the front yard gym, BC, sometimes you just got to take it back to Mother Earth. You know what I'm saying? I hear you about that. Hey, Luke, you always get on me for my dated references. Well, how about this one? Looks like the FAA has finally tracked down D.B. Cooper. And, Luke, he's not going quietly. <laughs> they got him cornered. Where do you go next, Luke? How do you get out of this? <laughs> Look at that cop down there. He's like, I was supposed to be off today. and All right, he removes the fucking, shoes. You fucking mongrels just won't let me have a day off because... <laughs> You are who you are, and I hate my life, and, you know, where's my taser? Like, he's better that his taser won't reach that far, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, it's probably not going to end well, right? Trying to climb the edge of the tip of the wing as the uh, authorities are closing in, Luke. They're going to hit this dude like they do. You ever seen, like, those bears that climb trees, and the bear can't oh, get yeah. down? What are you going to do? You're going to reason with a fucking bear? So they just trank gun it? They're going to tranquilize this fucking mongrel. Well, this guy's got something in his hand. He's getting closer. He's giving him one last chance. Oh, oh no. <laughs> ah, you know what? Hold on, BC. Let's take a guess here. What what uh what do you want to say? What was this guy on? Ketamine? You know? Oh uh, uh, PCP, probably. Yeah. PCP, Think so? Maybe. That's 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 acid. Yeah. He was subsequently <laughs> yeah. added to the no fly list, Luke, but mostly because he'll never walk again. Uh all right. This past Saturday, Luke, top ranked boxing in Las Vegas. I don't know if you saw this Coleman event, but can we pour one out for Masayoshi Nakatani, the guy who lost to Teofimo in a close decision? And Felix Verdejo, the one-time stud prospect from Puerto Rico for top rank. Luke, this was supposed to be a setup fight for Verdejo to fight Teofimo. Verdejo knocked down Nakatashi twice, Nakatani. And then late in this fight, the tables turned. Did you see this dramatic war that they put on? Uh, and you were shouting it out, and so have others online, but I never got around to it. Look, one of the better fights of this year in boxing. It's been a bad year for boxing, but this is uh, Nakatani getting off the canvas twice, scores two knockdowns, and finishes Verdejo. He hadn't fought, Luke, since the Teofimo fight. That's 18 months because he had some kind of like broken jaw and a broken orbital bone or something. He healed. He got back in it, and he uh, he went through the wars. He went to the hospital afterwards, too, with uh, with uh, a lot of damage. Um, th that's a man right there, okay? They're di it's a different breed. He's a different breed of person, all right? Amazing. All right. Hey, Luke, a lot of people ask me about whether my prep for this show has changed now that we do three episodes a week. And uh, check out my boy Wang Li Tao. This is how I get ready, Luke. It's called the fine art of logging. You know it? This is me having to deal with all your takes. <laughs> do you think this is how uh, Chasey Lane prepared to work with Rocco, Luke? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's life-size, right? It's like, it's true yeah. to form. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, all right. Well, there's that, Luke. Okay. Um, hey, Luke, people say this, have you seen this as all, you know, knockouts and dong picks and us making fun of people? Let's have a good moment of the week. Did you see this little piece of business that happened out in the open water? A seagull lands on the ship. Goose is, that is the seagull? guy. That's a, that's a pelican, not a seagull. Pelican, and he picks him up. And look, sometimes, like, the difficult people in our life, they just need a hug, Luke. I'm in on this. You? That dude's going to get bird flu and fucking, you know, cause another pandemic. 
as long as this is the extent of how much they're going to touch Luke, if this is like a good moment and this guy's not going to take this thing home, then I'm I'm in on this. If you want me to ruin your day, you should look on YouTube of the video of the uh, pelican who eats a pigeon in front of a kid at the zoo. <laughs> no, no, that's right, that's right. And you can see, you know, how pelicans have those big ass like jowls, and you can see the pigeon flapping in the jowls, trying to get free before he gets swallowed alive. It's great. <laughs> Uh, Luke, if we have learned anything from this awful segment on the show, it is that skateboarding is dangerous, and that's why us old white guys don't do it. Let's go to the videotape here, Luke. Uh, break a leg, sir. Yes. Oh. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, snap snap a leg in half, Luke. Take it home with you. All you right. know, prosthetics, they've come a long way, but not enough to help bad skateboarders. Yeah, wow. I like how it bonks him on the head on the way up. It's a reminder about what a fucking idiot he is. And in closing this week, Luke, you know all those people who say amateur wrestling is boring because there's not enough action? Uh, can we move to Asia already? What the hell's going on here, Luke? Boy, that's they're just hand fighting and clubbing. Now they're just fucking swinging. Oh, yeah. Dude, yeah. MMA is the shit. This is why they're so good at MMA in Russia, Luke. This is how they come up in the amateur wrestling game. I mean, this is great. Bro, that is a fucking... Look, that's great. <laughs> Who says wrestling is boring? Fuck these people. Look at them. Just... By the way, you can... They're, they're hand-tying. and They're doing what's called clubbing. You know, where you can, like... You put a collar tie on, but you do it really fucking hard. It's almost like you're yeah. slapping and punching. And then it just gets carried away. Where are these two I mean, gentlemen from? I'm guessing a place with a low GDP. Well, it's at wrestling underscore Russia, so I'm going to guess caucus, Luke, because that's that's the go-to right now. You know, they pick live fish out of the water and just take a bite out of it, right? These are different people, okay? Dude, these motherfuckers, they don't play games, bro. They, they're not worrying about wearing masks, okay? They're, they're Fuck out here just, that. Just banging. All right. Hey, that's it, Luke. That's it. You've seen it. You've seen it. All right. That's, uh, that's it. great. That's great. I love that. Uh, all right, BC. With that in, in mind, it is time now for odds and ends. What do you have for odds and ends? Yeah, I want to, you know, this may not on paper coming in the Showtime uh, boxing card special edition from Saturday night may not have been star studded, but you give a guy an opportunity to the main event and he jumps through your screen. That's what Chris Colbert did, not Colbert. Uh, he came in there at 130 pounds. Good looking name. This was a headlining opportunity and he delivered. Luke, if you want to get people's attention, sometimes you have to have swag. Colbert had that with the pink hair, pink gloves, ridiculous trunks, but all you are is ridiculous if you can't back it up. This was a thorough performance. He switched stances throughout. He landed clean power shots against a real tough guy in Arbolita. And when the opportunity was there to finish him in round 11, three knockdowns, including there's the second one that we debated earlier in which Arbolita, uh, you know, found himself and got back to it. And then the stoppage shortly after against the ropes. Look, 130 is a... Sometimes we look at it as an in-between division, but we know politically in the boxing politics sphere that we just saw Tank Davis and Leo Santa Cruz at 130. We got Gary Russell Jr. who wants to move up in weight. Let's add Chris Colbert now to this larger conversation because here's a guy who wants your attention, and this was spectacular. I mean, this was a great performance on Saturday. Yeah, sick. Uh, and I and, like to and get Luke, And it was so good. Did you see the tweet from our guy, Stephen A. Smith, about it, Luke? Yo, y'all, I just finished watching this kid, featherweight Chris Colbert. Let me tell y'all something. Lightning quick, spectacular boxer. Closest thing to Floyd Mayweather I've seen as a talent. Might be too small for Gervonta, but skill-wise can fight with anyone. He's special. 
Luke, I'm only here to say positive things about Chris Colbert. I love that victory. I'm not here to go Floyd-like. What are we doing? What are we doing here, Luke? Remember when he said Cerrone lost because his butt cheeks got tight? Remember that? And everyone was like, oh, yeah, that sounds so true. And I'm like, wow, this is really sad that we're entertaining this. Uh, okay. Yeah. you know. Hey, good Steven win, though. Good win. Steven, good night at the office. Steven gets paid very well for bad opinions. That's a great, great hustle. So congrats to him. Uh, real quickly, I'll call a bit of an audible. I'll get to what I got to for the producers so they can run it in just a second. But first, two things for odds and ends. We didn't get to it Friday, but it deserves to be noted. The judge in the class action case, the lawsuit from the fighters against the UFC, he certified the class. What does that mean? Well, before, it was a bunch of people who were suing, but if this was not certified as a class, they'd have to redo the whole thing individually in lawsuits. Now they get to do it as one giant group. And you're asking, well, how big is that group? Well, because it takes place, the, the court defines a certain time in which the harms were done. It's anyone who fought at a certain date in the UFC. We're talking 1,200 fighters uh, eligible. They can opt out if they want, but it's a big deal because there were two different kinds of certification. There was bout certification and there was identity certification or identity class and bout class. The identity class was about claims related to likeness rights and getting money that way. Judge tossed it, but they were only asking for about $50 million in damages. It's the bout class where that gets certified. They're entitled to potentially, potentially billions. Now, what might be next? UFC is going to appeal it. If it gets appealed and overturned, then the whole thing starts over again. My hunch is that you it won't react get overturned. To you want to react to Dana's comments, Luke? I'd like to hear your take on Dana's Dana's reaction. like, I know nothing about it. <laughs> I was like... He goes, he goes, it's so little of a threat, it's not even on my radar, basically, is what he said. Well, in the sense that, is it anything imminent he needs to get up today and worry about? No. Is it something he can even like think about in terms of like the law strategy? Like... In that sense, I understand what he's talking about because, you know, uh, we're talking about like lawyers and economists debating what or what is not monopsony. You know, that's not Dana's job. That's not my job. That's not your job. That's for the courts to decide and for the economists to either convince or not convince the judges. In that sense, it is very removed from his life. Whether or not you want to call it a threat is very different. And in fact, here's what's kind of interesting about it, BC. I suspect that if they try to appeal, which they will, and either the Ninth Circuit doesn't hear it or rules against UFC, they are 1,000% going to look to settle. And at that point, you know, again, that would still be a function of everyone in UFC who has a role to play there, understanding what proper compensation would look like. But um, they're not going to let this go to trial. There's no way they let this go to trial. Because if they go to trial and they lose, it could, if not bankrupt them, cause them way more money than settling would. And the New York Times had a good article about it saying, the way in which they're defining uh, the fighters, how they want money, which is wage share. You know, no one's really tried a big level monopsony case, if not in a long time, if maybe ever. So that could have ramifications for other kinds of jobs and other kinds of industries with similar levels of uh, arrangements and how and how people are um, uh, grouped. And, uh, uh, you know, could, could somebody at Kinko's, for example, sue their boss and claim wage share. There's a lot of different ways in which there's has, it has ramifications beyond just fighting. So we'll see what happens. You know, long way to go. So Dana's right in that sense. And again, what's he going to do? He's going to argue for monopsony or not? Um, it's, it's just removed from him. But if, if they lose the, the appeal on certification, then it becomes a very real threat. Um, but in news that fight fans care about, we didn't get to the UFC 256 in the fifth point, but I just wanted to make sure we got it in here before the show closed. How about Gavin Tucker? 34 years old. Guy lives in a fairly-ish remote part of Canada. 
you know, he had a bad loss to Rick Glenn years ago, but has really rebounded. And man, Billy Quarantillo is nobody's pushover. And old Gavin Tucker gave him the business for the most part. I mean, it wasn't a beatdown, but it was a bit of a schooling BC, just showing real high-level skills in all the different parts of the game. Remember we were talking about Oliveira, and I said, you know, you can have X, Y, and Z skills, but it doesn't mean you know how to fight. Well, Tucker is a perfect example of this. Yes, he's got the composite skills, but being able to blend them and being strategic and having a mind for it, he did it. He looked awesome for for, uh, the, the Saturday performance that he had. I think that's why sometimes, like, your physical prime may be when you're, what, 25, 26, 27, but your real prime as a fighter a lot of times is in that 30 to 32, 33 area because the mind catches up with the body and the experience level and all that, Luke. Uh, look, he Billy Q loves to put pressure on, and he sort of just closed, you know, all the openings that were there. Billy Q just thought he'd overwhelm him like he'd done to everybody else this year, but uh, well done from Gavin Tucker. A lot of tats, Luke, a lot of tats. Yeah, yeah, um, a lot of tats. Uh, okay, tits for, tits for tats, Luke. Okay, tattoo on toys TT, for tots. Right? BC, you should donate this year. It's a Marine Corps program. Everyone can get behind that, right? Giving to- toys yeah, well, to poor yeah. kids. What's wrong with that? Semper Fi, never die, Luke. Okay. Uh, okay. Hey, what's All on right. your shirt today? Does that say Black Zillions? What are you wearing right there? Yes, it says Black Zillions. Uh, no, it's Civilization Tattoo. It's a place that. Uh, I've gotten many tattoos over the years, and I'm actually getting a tattoo coming up here very soon, BC. How about that? All right, all right. Yeah, gonna one get my biggest one. Gonna get my biggest one to date. How about that? What on your arm, right? Yeah, on my arm. Mm-hmm. All right. There's a lot of flesh there from all them gains, right? All them gains. Uh, all right, reminder, I gotta catch a plane, Luke. Let's okay, oh, let's okay, remind, remind the people. Reminder, reminder, because BC has to go on a jet plane. He's leaving us. We don't know when he'll be back again, but. For the time being, we're going to do a year-end special, and also that involves getting some questions from you donks for Christmas, which is what we need. So go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. If you're so inclined, five stars, we'd be, thank you very much. Leave a question in there. We get enough of those in there. We'll put together a special episode for you guys so the content flow, the fire hose stays open so you can get as much of that as you want. So please go do that, okay? Yeah, we will uh, be dropping email. an episode on Christmas filmed before like we did on Thanksgiving, but you send it, I'll answer it. That's my deal for you. And then, Luke, we're getting oh so close. I want to tease this a little to episode okay, do it, do it. 100. This will be a celebration like UFC 100, it has to be our our highest rated, most downloaded, most pay-per-view buys of any episode ever, Luke. We are assembling right now a guest list that would blow people's minds for a special episode 100. Um, I can't leak the names yet, right? Mostly because we want to make sure they actually want to be on it. But this is going to be awesome, Luke, okay? It's going to be spectacular. We're going to crack cold ones. We're going to put the future of our jobs on the line and just be real, okay? Uh, okay. Very good. I agree with that. I, I mean, I don't want to tease it too much because it, a lot of ways it could go, but if it goes the way we want it to go, mm, it's going to be one of those. All right. For Wednesday's fan submissions, we still have to do social justice Wednesdays. And of course, dead wrong morning combat at gmail.com. The official email of the show hit us up there at any point you want. We are also on social media more generally. It's morning combat for everything on Instagram, on YouTube, on Twitter. And of course, if you want to follow BCRI on social media, there are our handles as well. Showtime is the label that pays us. If you and CBS Sports, if you want to get Showtime for free for 30 days, you certainly can. Go to Showtime.com. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go pound sand. 
And then, of course, store.show.com. Be on the lookout for deals coming up soon on merch, or you can just buy merch full price now. We don't get a cut of it either way, so it doesn't really matter what you do with your money in that sense. Okay? Uh, what did no, I forget, BC? Make, let them believe that this goes directly to uh to to your little one and abuela and uncle pp like this you know come on it all helps it's not, can you stop being it's not quite racist because you don't mean it that way but you know when you're constantly getting the names wrong of people who don't have languages like you it's pepe felipe can you say that nicely please i don't make fun of your relatives i you want me to start i can well, we, we, yeah, there's a lot to make fun of on this side of the tracks, Luke. Okay. We all, we all breathed in the same factory fumes, drank out of the river. All right. You know, we're lucky. You're lucky to... you, will you stop valorizing this shit? You're fine. You're okay. You... Your life's good. You make, I know what your checks are. You make nice checks. You're good. Uh, by the way, tell the folks where you're going. So they know to be on the lookout and plug in their DVRs now. Yes, please. Thursday night, NBC Sports Network, 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, another episode of Ring City USA, a really great up-and-coming contender boxing series. We've got uh, Charles uh, Cromwell, uh, Charles Cornwell. Sorry, uh, I'm sorry. My name is all over the place right now. Um, a, a rising stud. He's been on Showbox a bunch of times. He'll be Charles Conwell. Wow. I'm, I'm Brian Crumble here. Um, sorry. Uh, he'll be there in the main event on Thursday night, but just a fun series from the uh, parking lot of the wildcard gym there. Uh, we're going to preview the shows later this week. I got some big time guests planned this week as well. So you're going to be seeing a lot of me from inside that quarantine Los Angeles hotel room, which I'm not allowed to leave at any point for five straight days. So that's, that's great. All right. Let's bring bring a lot of underwear, Luke. I'll, I'll be there. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, enjoy your eggs in a weird little thingy that you carry them in. Uh, there you have it. We'll be on the lookout for it. We will talk to you on Wednesday. Good, sir. We got some interviews coming this week. So be on the lookout for those with some a listers too, buddy. I know yeah, what's happening yeah. this way. So, so be on the lookout for it. Thank you guys so much for watching. Thumbs up. Hit the subscribe button. We'll see you guys on Wednesday. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.